Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains strong language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there is a strong possibility that spoilers will be discussed for Bloom Into You, so please be careful if you have yet to watch and don't wish to be spoiled yet. And finally, the views and opinions expressed are that of the individual participants and do not reflect upon the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. And if Senpai should, perchance, happen to notice you and start a lesbian love relationship with you, just know that you're in good company because I am also in one as well. This is Bloomin' to You. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Greetings, new members of the Dub Talk student body. The seasons have changed, the leaves are in bloom, or they would be if it wasn't cold as hell right now, but for the sake of the scenario, the leaves are in bloom, and there is so much love to give. From all of us, to all of you, to everyone you know. Love is love, and whoever you find yourself falling in love with, or even if you don't have any desire or ability to fall in love. Just know this, you are valid, important, and regardless, we love you and thank you so very much for tuning in today. And today's meeting, we're going to be discussing the Girls Love Anime by Studio Troika and author Neo Nakatani, Bloom Into You. I am your student council president, Andrew a.k.a. Classy Spartan. Joining me today are my fellow student council members, Jet. Hello. Noah Clue. I'm, I'm just here for the extracurricular points. And Megan. Wait a minute. Who let you be president? I didn't vote for this. I voted for our one true lord and savior, Gritty. Okay, Megan, you can't Already. see me. You cannot see me right now, but there are daggers being fired through my microphone, through the internet, over websites, all the way over to you right now for just that one comment. You couldn't have one peaceful, single conversation throughout one episode. One episode. One goddamn episode. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm kind of sort of glad we just got it out of the way. Yep, that's it. it. I'm just getting it out of my system because there's no way I can actually be an awful gremlin this episode. Thank goodness. Uh. All right, but yeah, today we're talking. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I, for, for full disclaimer, I, I have no animosity towards gritty whatsoever. It's just fun to pick on. All I know is this: it was either the gritty joke or making a joke about licking lilies and bears. Yeah, I am so Look. glad you went with the classier option of those two. Look, there's a whole lot of flower imagery going on in this show, so that would have been valid too. But what is? bloom into you about you ask it's the sequel to violet evergarden right like it's another gardening show that's entirely about flowers like we we need to know how to grow crops in a post-apocalyptic world where there's no functioning economy okay cut me off anytime here you're going to go get that giant stack of papers from the teacher's lounge while i do the synopsis yes master okay here we go uh Oh, God, these go back all the way to 1923. Oh, God. Anyways, to summarize, uh, Bloom Into You, Yu Koito has always loved shoujo manga and awaits the day she gets a love confession that sends her heart aflutter with bubbles and blushes. And yet, when a junior high classmate confesses his feelings to her, 
she feels nothing. Disappointed and confused, you enter high school, still unsure how to respond. That's when you sees the beautiful student council president, Toko Nanami, who turns down a suitor with such maturity that she's inspired to ask her for her help. But when the next person to confess to you is Nanami herself, has her shoujo romance finally begun? So, uh, quick little thoughts. What have you been thinking of this show so far? Uh, finally, a Yuri show that isn't really fetishistic. I've, as someone who really loves uh, shows with like a lot of visual imagery that have like deeper meaning, like Utena and Oran High School Host Club, this thing is my crack, and I am so digging it. Oh God, I'm so in love with it. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, I've been uh, yeah, I've been uh, really enjoying it. I put off watching it for a while for some inexplicable reason that I don't know why, but um, um, yeah, it's been very delightful to watch so far. I've been looking forward to this particular anime because I knew about its reputation and that it was like a very highly acclaimed Yuri series. Thanks, Scott and Double. Oh, God. Yeah, they've been hyping that up. Bless you guys. Uh, but, yeah. I... The last one I watched was Citrus, which, look, I enjoyed <laughs> Citrus. I enjoyed Citrus. And there's things about it I like, but... Let's not sit here and pretend that isn't definitely its fair share of trashy goodness in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So, I, I heard about this one's reputation, and I was very much looking forward to it. And I'd say... It is about what I expected, but it has surprised me in several different ways, both in regards to the visual splendor on display with the direction and the aesthetic of the show visually, as well as a lot of the character writing, several of which have actually surprised the hell out of me. This show got as... a dub? Are you telling me that a Yuri Shoujo show got a dub for English audiences? But Sentai it never did. dubs anything. But they did, Wind and the Sentai Filmworks was quite nice to give us a dub. But, I say our first discussion will be about the show's ADR director and scriptwriter. Ladies and gentlemen, did we have any predictions for this particular show? I did. Oh, yeah. Alright, Megan, who did you predict? So, at the time when I made predictions, I didn't know this, and I think... Andrew, you actually found this out at Anime NYC, if I'm correct? Huh? About uh, Sentai setups of how many booths they have in their scheduling. Like, I don't Th know. This was not a particular uh, thing I found out. I just remember seeing somewhere that somebody said they have uh, three in-house studios. Okay, cool. So, my thing is this. I didn't expect them to uh, double up any of the directors that they have, like Funimation would. Um, so I, I was thinking I was going to put one person and I didn't put him because he was already working on another show, despite should have having put this person because Jesus Christ, Megan, you're an idiot. But I did put John Swayze because he had not been directing anything in the fall season yet. Cause Kyle Colby Jones was still on, um, Mr. Tonegawa. This other person was on another show that we're going to cover soon. And then Shannon Reed ended up getting on... Yeah, whatever. I picked John Swayze, but for writer, I had two people, which were was Marta Bechtal and Alicia Bull. Interesting. Uh, Noah? Uh, yeah. Um, even though I knew that um, he was uh, directing on 
uh, Mr. Tonegawa. I, I had to go for the default and say Kyle Kelby Jones is the director. Um, I, probably because I was looking through some past credits for like uh, what's a recent Sentai romance show that kind of subverted some expectations. He did the directing on My Love Story, and that's and I was like, you know what? Even though he's doing one show right now, which is being simul dubbed. I have no doubt that his superpowers would allow him to do two shows in one, so that, that was my just fill it in to have a prediction. But I couldn't make a prediction for Scriptwriter because I was unfortunately spoiled to what that was thanks to the magical glowing rectangle that is Twitter before I was even able to make a prediction on that regard. So I have a big empty square in that section for mine. Twitter is very much uh, willing to tell you a lot of things very quick and very suddenly, for sure. It is. And I don't blame anyone for doing that because, I mean, people want to talk about the new hot stuff going on, but there's like a small window that I am not allowed to know anything before I make predictions, and I just couldn't get it in that window. Sometimes I just don't even try to keep up anymore. Sometimes I do what I gotta do. Mm -hmm. Anyways, as for who is indeed writing and directing this particular show the adr director for bloom into you is one mr david wall <laughs> god i should have fucking picked him <laughs> oh thunder daddy please show me your bloom into you noah look we've had so many nicknames for david wall on this show right now like like take your pick come on come on take your pick I just call him God. Speaking of close to godliness, serving <laughs> as his assistant ADR director, as well as the show's ADR scriptwriter, is one Marissa Lenti. You will know David Wall's directorial work from such series like Aura, Koga, Mariuin's Lost War, Hitorichi Mete, My Hero, and Tada Never Falls in Love. My Hero Akagamia! My Hero Akagamia. That is very much his canon name, and I accept it fullheartedly. Uh, as for uh, Marissa, she has directed such projects such as BX, Nanbaka, and This Boy is a Professional Wizard. She has also written for such projects as Arm Girl, Machiavellism, Tata Never Falls in Love, and This Boy Suffers from Crystallization. I hope that boy's going to be okay. That we met like him very... at A-Fest. He seemed perfectly fine. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, th I thought the Land of the Lustrous dub hadn't come out yet. Shut the fuck uh, up! Shut the fuck up! <laughs> Shut the what? fuck up, Noah! Look, you guys make your Oh, oh, you up. give me shit for the I gritty joke! I you promise motherfucker. you, there will, I will make no more bad puns throughout this entire episode. That's a lie! There, there, That's, there, a That's a fucking lie! lie. I'm looking to the future, Noah. and there will not be a single more pun in my audio for the rest of this. That's not fair! You're editing this episode! You can take all the puns out, you little cheater! Yes, I can! And you know what you can do about it? Nothing! Suck it. Here's what I can do. I can crack that whip so you guys let me talk. Da -na 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 -na. Anyways, Jet. Jet, would you like to start us off about what you thought oh. with the direction and script writing of... Sure. Um, so the only thing I've really seen from David Wall that the direction for it was um, the movie Aura. And... Um, that was from a pretty good while back, so I don't really remember much other than thinking it sounded pretty decent, I guess. Um, so I wasn't, like, totally sure what to expect going into this, but, um, I've been pretty impressed with the direction so far. 
there's a very natural tone to the performances that, you know, goes pretty well with the laid-back energy of the show, and, uh, since Sentai dubs are fairly good at that sort of thing, it's been really pleasant to listen to, you know, aside from the occasional stilted line read or something like that. Uh, script-wise, I don't have a whole ton to say since I've just kind of been watching the show dubbed and I never really got around to the subtract for a more in-depth comparison. I mean, but, uh, aside from a couple of bits to, you know, make the dialogue between characters sound more like things actual teenagers would say, uh, there wasn't really anything here that gave the impression this wasn't going for, like, a fairly straight translation, and, uh, then, you know, that's pretty good since, you know, when you're dealing with this kind of subject matter in particular, saying on script is pretty much always a good idea. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to say if this show will, you know, stick the landing in the end, but so far, um, I've really been enjoying it, and, uh, this is probably the first, the best first impression I've had when I said I dumb all year. So, uh, kudos to David Wald and Marissa Letty. Alrighty. Megan, the floor is yours. Cool. Well, the floor is mine. I'm digging through someone's Twitter uh, for some information about this. Um, okay, I know, I know exactly which one you're going through. So, uh, I'm going to talk first about the fact that one of the things I'm really happy that has been um, going on is Sentai, especially over anybody who isn't an independent house themselves... Or a newly established thing like Hi Kuma Holdings. Also, hi Coach Sound. Even though you went through um, Media Blasters, because it has been a really weird year. Because Noah and I happened to be on the first time this show actually handled an LGBT anime. Like that was explicitly like for that genre. I'm not counting Yuri on Ice, because no offense. When when we watched Yuri on Ice, none of us knew that it was going full gay. Like, I mean, we, we probably should have guessed just from the director to begin with. with but <laughs> impressions but. are a thing. And like I said, like, by the way, spoiler alert, when we recorded Yuri on Ice, we had no idea about the engagement <laughs> thing or the stripping thing. Ep- episode that, 10 was had not yet. that was a joke. It was great. like two weeks after we recorded that. We had no fucking idea. I don't think we even. No, it was. No. We didn't even watch the uh, the them kiss in episode seven yet when we watched when we recorded that. So like, we actively had no idea. But uh, Noah and I were on the other the first time we actually covered like an explicitly LGBT show this year, and that was I know Kusabi, which is a very different, not as wholesome I animal. I would not input that in the same like the same part of the bookstore as Bloom into That's, You, if I were to be honest. I'm grouping it under the general like. BL girls love umbrella. Right, right. It's just a very different I'm not genre. Going... One is sci-fi. Yeah. This is strictly is ro- school like, romance. Romance. Like, but the thing is that the the main two characters are not in a heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. That's that's the point I'm making. <laughs> so how do they handle that? I'm getting there. But Sentai is of the major studios, excluding really Yuri on Ice. Uh, the first really big studio to actually take a crack at dubbing a lot of LGBT-related anime media. So I'm super impressed on that front, and they've really been putting David Wald at the forefront of the face of that. Obviously, with him dubbing, uh, being the director of Hitori Jime My Hero, this, and I think he's he's going to be doing his passion project, which is getting a dub of the anime Love Stage out, 
which is another gay anime. Um, but I think David Wald did a phenomenal job putting together this cast. Um, I don't think I had any of the people who are a lead character, like, predicted in the right spot or in that lead prediction thing, except for one, kind of? I thought that the dub is just incredibly beautiful. It's incredibly heartfelt. It's very natural sounding, um... It is just very, very great. And I think the biggest thing that helps it for me is actually the writing of the show. Um, Marissa Lenti's writing has been fantastic. And one of the things is that uh, she's very open about her adaptation process. As a writer over Twitter. Uh, especially with uh, not only this, but another show that she's writing... But one of the things I wanted to pull up is from, uh, it's called, she has a thing called Fun With Adaptation. And this is from episode two of Bloom Into You. Oh, now I know why you were, why you were digging. Da, 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 da. To avoid saying that feeling over and over, I had to include a few more uh, metaphors for new love. That idea, the idea of feeling quote unquote fireworks was something I clung on a lot to at EU's age. So I was excited to implement it. So I think that she does a lot of things to help the show sound more natural because sometimes even in like heterosexual romance anime, like they get really repetitive. It's like, I feel like this for the first time and it's very prosy and rosy. And sometimes you're like, okay, y'all in fucking high school. For Stop talking. <laughs> yeah, you're you're in high school, not a damn Disney movie. Yeah. Calm your titties. <laughs> um, like I love Disney movies. I I love shitty Disney. I love <laughs> Disney movies. I I I'm not gonna. I cry to the fireworks show at Magic Kingdom like a baby. Um, then again, I also know every word to out there from Hunchback. So fight me. Um. <laughs> But I think that's one of the things I like about Marissa Lenti's writing. And another thing is, like, I like that the... I, I'm not going to lie that as somebody who is also LGBT, I really like when they have LGBT staff helming the LGBT show. Obviously, it's not a prerequisite that only the gay people can do the gay show. Thank you. Because there's obviously people who are not gay working on this. Mm -hmm. But it is a bit of a comfort to me. Just, it's like, wow, these are people who really are pushing for these types of stories to come out. And before this year, especially, like, the latter half of this year, um, obviously we had Citrus in the beginning of the year, but that depends on your view of Citrus, of... It, it's a messy situation with Citrus, like... Yeah, I mean, it was like... You could almost call it juicy. No! No, Andrew! No, we were going for a peaceful well i'm trying to be here. like really like insightful and heartfelt and you're making punge you, which is never going to happen again for the rest of the episode but you, you bring up a good point megan that's a lie that that's it, a lie it is a lie i, I lie a lot but i that's don't lie, lie. the fact that uh, when you have um underrepresentation in media the first instances of it aren't always like the most respectable like look at african-american representation in american media some of the earliest examples obviously are not ones that you want to remember the, i've the, seen the jazz singer you, you see jazz singer you look at Lumi i've King's seen cartoons. the jazz singer so yeah so the I go to Disney. There's an entire ride still dedicated to that. Um. My point was, 
and bring it back <laughs> to the yeah, dub no. here. Yeah, br I'm bringing it back to the dub specifically this year that there's been a lot more um, LGBT shows getting dubbed. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you had Citrus, uh, you have Bloom Into You, uh, Hitorijime, My Hero, um, This Boy Suffers from Crystallization, This Boy is a Professional Wizard, uh, I Know Kusabi, which is getting counted in the dubbies this year, that's why I keep mentioning it. Um... <laughs> But I really think that David and Marissa really bring a lot of heart to this show, which is really great because this is a show that um, I, I remember like before we started this episode, um, we were talking about it's like I told a bunch of people to watch it and everybody was like, to be fair, you can't really tell anybody a hook to make them watch Bloom Into You. Mm -mm. This isn't a show where it's like, hey, watch My Hero Academia, here's the hook, or hey, Watch Hitori Jime My Hero. This is the hook. Or hey, watch Maiden Abyss. Don't give them the hook. Watch them experience pain for themselves. That's um, a good point. And I actually want to, to dovetail off of that and talking about the writing on this. Um, especially what you were talking about with Marissa's uh, usage of phrases. Because I like... I like shows where uh, they use subtle phrases to convey a whole lot of emotions. Where uh, the words on the page may not mean a whole lot, but in the context of the show, they mean a whole lot more. And I want to point specifically to just uh, one of the uh, last lines in the first episode where uh, Toika is, um, in the original sub, Toika says, I think I'm falling in love with you to you. But in the dub, they, they change that around to be, what was the exact wordage they used? I, I know I wrote it down somewhere. It was, they changed it to... I'm going to trim this part down here. But I, I might be having that feeling, too, or something like that. Yeah, she changes it to, I may be having those feelings for you. Uh, just to basically be, uh, change it around so that it's not as blunt as the sub was, but it still conveys the exact same emotions, and probably in a stronger way, too, because like you said, Megan, people don't always say the exact explicit hardcore things on their mind. They use turnaround and sleight-of-hands phrases to get the points across, and this show is just peppered with them all over the place. And I really like that also the writing has distinct personalities for each of the characters. Some of the characters speak in more formal ways. Uh, some of them are more slurred and like what high schoolers actually sound like. And they're all distinct from one another, Don't which... Emo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you, you douchebag? Yes. <laughs> the, the, yeah, there, there's some... It's not crass. Like, this isn't Beck Mongolian Chop Squad levels of high school crass, but it's definitely a step above the rose-tinted perception of high school, which is odd for a show that's so romance-centric. You'd think it would be more rose-tinted, but it's not. So to give praise to David also, he has distinct personalities for all of the direction, and you get a sense for the lives that these, actor, that these characters live outside of the show just based on the way that they bounce off of each other. They're directed to make it sound like they're actually speaking to one another, even though we know from... Uh, how ADR works that none of these actors were actually speaking with one another in a booth They all have to work off of each other's pre-recorded dialogue. So there's always a, a, a Problem with that when you can't believe that the characters are actually speaking to each other But I believe that they were throughout a good chunk of this show And as one last thing I wanted to point out one last thing the show does really well because there will be a lot of good things to talk about There is uh, a tendency in romance shows to make light or make comedy of situations that are not specifically about the romance. Like, characters will joke with each other, or there'll be some schadenfreude at a person's uh, shortcomings when 
it's not specifically about the romance. Like, I can point to something like Your Lion April did this a lot. Uh, there was a lot of picking on characters when it wasn't specifically about the romance. The show, in direction, doesn't really do that. If there's a softer or quieter moment that's not specifically about the romance, they still play it straight. They don't play it for a laugh. They play it for just a quiet, contemplative slice of life moment, which really helps paint the believability of this romance that we get to. And there, we'll talk about this more when we get to key characters, but David's act, not acting, David's direction on this really seems to understand what it was like to fall in love for the first time. That first time when you were young and your heart started to flutter at the concept of loving someone more than you love yourself, to steal a phrase from... Uh, goodwill hunting and that is something that permeates this entire show so both david and marissa i don't know if like they are like the most pure people in the world who just still remember what that's like but thank you for reminding us what that felt like that was very well that was very well said noah though i'm not sure the phrase playing it straight really applies to this God particular show fucking damn it. i am you're going to point that out every time you use the word straight, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> maybe. Anyway, Look, there's at least uh, one hetero couple in heel. In here. This, is, th this is true. Anyways, one of them uh, probably wears heels. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyways, uh, so giving my quick thoughts on these two, uh, I've been very impressed with uh, the script of the show, and I think Marissa does a very solid natural job at conveying the emotions especially in regards to you as a character because there's a lot of time spent inside of her head and the <coughs> genuine complications that go on with the fact that she you okay no not okay is it okay uh, I'm sorry inside of her head made me laugh because i thought it was dirty It's okay, Megan. It's okay. Look, look. there is a support group for people who have dirty thoughts all the time. You, we, we'll get Moods you help. Anonymous. We'll get you help. It's okay. Admitting you have a problem is the first step to recovery. Anyways, oh, come we... on. You you say that to me, but Andrew's literally right over there. Look, look, um... He's beyond help, okay? Look, look. there, there, there are first-time <laughs> addicts, and then there are hardcore drug dealers. I can't help him out. Uh, I love you, Andrew. You know Andrew. what the I... biggest... Ah, goddammit. If, if cuddling together at A-Fest did not, uh, it was an indication, I love you. Look, you say I dunk on Andrew all the time behind his back, but holy shit, you just put him in a trash can to his face. It was a compliment. Anyways. Back to the wholesome. Back to the wholesome. I think the way Marissa uh, describes a lot of Yu's internal thoughts, and we see a lot of stuff going on inside of her mind, I think is really... Like, I feels like this is through, like, I can very much feel Marissa's own, like, personal, like, feelings in regards to matter of, like, romance or the lack thereof. And I think a lot of the phrases, uh, the, a lot of the phrases and wording in general are really well thought out. And I think the script is very natural and the way these characters interact is very good. There's... Direction is really good, and I'm just trying to say this as very simply as I can. I respect the hell out of David Wald, the work he does, and the things he has pushed in regards to things at Sentai. And I think this is, like, our, I think this is technically our first time covering that, but I want to say I very much respect 
his work and admiration for pushing for these kinds of shows getting dubbed and i think he does an exceptional exceptional job proving why they should be dubbed and how good they can sound in the english language so hats off to the performances hats off to the script and the adaptation and i'm just glad this dub exists and i wanted to say Thank you very much, Marissa. Thank you very much, David. P.S. David is the sweetest motherfucker you will ever meet. Also, he gives really good hugs. How do you I'd know this? I'd also like to point this out, but I... He's met him. I would like to point this out, but I don't know, and we can cut it, and I can mention it there, too. The reason I say that both the writer and the director are LGBT, Marissa Lenti came out on National Coming Out Day as a biromantic asexual herself. So, yay. When is when was that? Like I don't know what day National Coming Out Day is. October 11th. October 11th. Okay. Okay. So all of you listeners out there who might still be in the closet, make a note for October 11th, 2019. Mm-hmm. If you want, if you feel comfortable doing. If so. if you feel comfortable, I'm saying if you need a reason, if you need like an excuse, there's your excuse. Mm. So speaking of excuses, I'm not even sure that's a good segue. I it's not. Say, Noah made it. Let's go for the opposite of gay let's discuss uh <laughs> natsuki sonomura koyomi kano and akari hyuga these are three students who are friends of our main character two of them go to the same high school and one of which was somebody who went to the same middle school as them but shows up for a girls out night out on town uh i would like to say that Unlike several other characters in the show, these three students are not native Japanese. They are from a country called Heteromania. <laughs> I knew as soon as you said no puns, I was saving that little stupid bit in the sidelines. Uh... There's no brakes on the pun train, Megan. I'm so <laughs> What so is sad. that? No, it's a uh, if you've ever if you've never not played Fire Emblem Fates. What? The... <laughs> there's a really great thing about puns in it. It's like, uh, it's like never, like never not intend your pun. I have to find it because it's such a great line. So, so and, you're doing Andrew, that. I'm looking at a map here. So, uh, the way to get to hetero, uh, uh what, what's it called again? Heteromania? Heteromania, you take a wrong turn to Albuquerque. Right, right. But once you go get on, through a church. Well, it's once, once you get on the highway, it's just straight ahead, right? I hate oh. you so much. So, did we have any predictions for the characters of Akari, Koyomi, and Natsuki? Yes, I have them. Also, B, I found the thing, and it says, People who say no pun intended are cowards. Intend your puns, weaklings. Oh, okay. Well, if that's it, then I'm going <laughs> to fully Fire Emblem tonight. Thank you, Hana from Fire Emblem, here. Fire Emblem of Fate. Hold so, your horses, Noah. Man. I only had predictions for Akari and uh, Koyomi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My predictions for Akari were Olivia Swayze or Lucy Christian. Um, and my predictions for Koyomi were Christina Kelly or Stephanie Whittles. I don't know the repertoire of Sentai girls very well, <laughs> so I essentially pulled up the cast list to review Starlight. <laughs> that's not a bad list not- to pull up. In fact, that's going to be it's relevant. a good cast. For- not a bad list at all. Uh, Noah, did you have a similar list? I... 
No, I didn't have a similar list. Um, I'll apologize that I didn't make a prediction for Natsuki because um, I. She shows up in episode four. You're forgiven. We, yeah, because I I, don't, I only watched the first episode in sub before switching to dub for this podcast. So same. So, sorry. Now, as for the uh, two I did make predictions for Akari, I put down Juliet Simmons because of her role as Kurumi in School Life. Um, uh, that wasn't quite the same kind of voice that Akari has in the Japanese. Um, Kurumi had a bit of a higher voice, and Akari had a bit of a lower voice. But they have the same amount of energy. She's, they, they've got the same swing a shovel and take no names kind of attitude. So that's where I put Juliet Simmons. I, I figured that she could put like a slightly lower voice for Akari for this role. And as for Koyumi, I put down... Uh, this is entirely... I'm going to thank Megan for this. This one is entirely Megan's fault. For Koyumi, I put down Brittany Karbowski... Solely because of her role as Reno in Tanaka. Oh my god, this girl looks exactly like her, but older, that's why. Yeah, because Reno is, if you haven't seen Tanaka-kun, Reno is is like a half-eye-shut kind of like badass you don't want to cross with. I know there's a Japanese term for this type of archetype, but they're the same basically archetypes between her and Koyumi in Bloom into You. And so I was like... It's it's in my mind right now, so like okay, I'll put Britney in that one. Even though in my head I'm thinking I'm used to Britney as more like a peppy characters, but she did a really good job as Reno. So I'm like, I I'm sure she could do this too. Alrighty, and uh, Jet, you didn't have uh, predictions for these, correct? Nope. Okay, and uh, the actresses who are playing these characters, uh, playing Natsuki is Margaret McDonald. Playing Koyomi is one Brittany Karbowski. And interestingly enough, playing Akari is Amber Lee Connors. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Margaret McDonald, you've heard in as such characters as Rika Takanashi from Love Chunibyu and Other Delusions, Tamako. Oh god, f- this fucking name. <laughs> Tamako. Kita Shirakawa from Tamako Market, Sachi Momoi from Maria Holic, and Harumi Tanaguchi, aka the best girl from Citrus. Uh, Brittany Karbowski, you've heard play such characters as Papika from Flip Flappers, Sinai Dekamori from Chunibyu and Other Delusions, Kei Shindo from F A Tale of Memories, and the Dorm Leer from Maria Holic. As for as for Amberly Connors, you may have heard her as no, no. such characters as Rio Rollins Tachibana from Rio Rainbow Gate, Nozomi Kamenashi from Keijo, and Ayano Hanisaki from Hanabato, and of course May Ihara from Citrus. A g- double whammy there. A double, a double scoop of orange juice. Jet. You don't scoop orange juice, you weirdo. Look, you scoop the... You scooch the orange juice. I don't know Jet, what please. they do in Jersey, but you don't scoop orange juice. I'm Just, Jet, please tell this ignorant plebe how it's done in Jersey. So, I'm not gonna lie. Natsuki didn't really leave any kind of impress- serious impressions on me. I honestly kind of forgot she existed, so... Um... <laughs> Uh, I I mean I guess for like what it's worth, Margaret McDonald's hour did fine for like what I remembered of the character. It just um, it just didn't really say that to me. Sorry. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> um, she shows up quickly, but I just wanted to bring her up. Okay. 
Um, so, uh, going into the rest of you, friends, I started with Akari, um, I brought Deborah Lee Carter's and a couple of other things, and, um, well, they, well, they didn't really leave too much of a big impression on me either, I definitely enjoyed them, and, uh, that's more or less how I feel here, too, um, between these, uh, uh between Akari, no, between, uh, use two main friends. Um, Akari is the big basketball one. Koyomi is the literary girl. Yeah. So Akari is like definitely the peppier one, and it like too, and the level of enthusiasm just really kind of shows in Amber's voice whenever you know he's going on about her club activities or guys he's interested in, um, and like the closest we ever really you know see to, and we ever really get to seeing her like more serious side, I guess is um. That bit in, I guess it was episode four, where she gets rejected by her crush, and um, she tries to put on a brave face while she's hanging out with her friends, but, um, okay, but uh, you can kind of tell she's in pain, and, well, it wasn't like a super melodramatic scene or anything. Um, okay, so, uh, she definitely did give off the impression that Akari was, you know, struggling with it more than she let on, and um, I really like that scene. Especially, you know, when it's, like, put in contrast with how you's kind of dealing with her own feelings at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, Brittany Karbowski, of course, I'm pretty familiar with, and, um, I also like her as Kuyomi so far. I'm a lot more used to Brittany Karbowski, you know, playing bubbly or shy characters whenever she does teenager teenagers. Um, so Kuyomi is kind of like, you know, it's a nice little change of pace. Uh, but she's also, you know, no real stranger to playing quieter ones, and... And she, do, she certainly does a good job of making Kiyomi come off as very, you know, dry and tired in a way that a lot of teenagers kind of are. But, you know, not to the point of coming off as, like, totally emotionless, which I appreciate. And, um, while she hasn't had a whole ton to do either, um, I really liked Revelation Episode 5 that she's actually into writing. And I really appreciate the way Brittany handled uh, Kiyomi's sense of embarrassment over, you know, showing her work to... Use it. It came off as kind of awkward, but you know, in an off-headed way that kind of matched her character rather than you know sounding like something super exaggerated. Uh, but uh, anyway, I enjoyed these two ladies, and uh, hopefully they'll get more to do soon. I'm done. Oh. Alrighty, uh, Megan. So Natsuki, I'll be really quick. Uh, hi, Margaret McDonald. You're really, really nice. I've met you. Um, but no, she sounded kind of tomboyish, which was really nice compared to the other two girls. Um, but like Jet, she only made a, a small impression on me. Uh, she's in a very small part of episode four. Uh, Koyomi is book girl, right? Koyomi is book girl. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm very happy I made somebody in this group watch Tanakaku with me. <laughs> It was. It's a good show. show. It's, oh, it, just like it's this a show, great show. It's kind of hard to. It's kind of. It doesn't have a hook to it. You you gotta just make. Let you it just have to like you. actually sit down and watch it. But it's so weird because like essentially I'd like to think that Koyomi is just Tanaka's older sister who finally <laughs> chilled out <laughs> and stopped trying to murder Ota. This uh, like she's. I I remember like I think Noah. I think she's like Noah's like secret little waifu because Noah loves secret bibliophiles. I do love me some bibliophiles. <laughs> God damn. We'll get to that uh, in a bit. God, I love it when that slut reads a book. Hey, no, 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 no. It's more like I, I, I love it when a, when a good, uh, uh, God, what is it name? Um, I, I love it when a good Nathaniel Hawthorne story just kind of like takes you in your arms and just treats you like his bitch. You know, I, I love that so much. 
See, the last time I watched something with Nathaniel Hawthorne in it, there was a flying whale ship. Bungo is weird. No, 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 Megan. That is, no, that's Herman Melville. That's Moby Dick. Nathaniel Hawthorne is the good Herman Melville. <laughs> I know, what? it's a joke about a show. You should watch it. Nathaniel Hawthorne has, like, what the fuck was Hawthorne's power? Also, he is voiced by Matthew Mercer. Oh, wait, oh, oh wait, no, this is, um, <clears throat> you're talking about, um, God, what's it called? Not, um, the talk, the authors are all personified as cute boys, right? Yes, that's exactly what it is. A couple uh, of please. them are girls. Fuck off. Um, no, so I thought that Brittany Karbowski did a really good job being really mellow as Koyomi and uh, very, like, kind of like, yeah. Oh, I also like that she has the whole, like, this is too cute for me. I don't want it. <laughs> what about your keychain? I, like, I like the color pink. No, you don't. Like, little on her shoulder. Buy! Buy the cute thing with the puppy! No, you're a hardcore bitch. Get the spikes. Um, and then Akari, Amberly Connors is Akari, which I don't get to actually talk about Amberly Connors in a lot of things. I think like I've only talked about Amberly Connors on one show, and that was Galactic Heroes. <laughs> so it's really nice to actually like get to talk about her for once. I thought she was great as um, Akari. Especially the scene in episode four where she talks about getting rejected and you can kind of hear it in her voice that she's holding back, wanting to cry about it because she's trying to be the big, strong, tough girl for her friends. And I I also shout out to Marissa Lenti's writing on that where you uh, kind of narrates she's been rehearsing this over and over again type of thing. And then... She's also, like, the sporty, like, hey, girl, let's go play some basketball. I'm joining the team so I can get some dick. Um, sorry. That's basically her motivation, I, so. I mean, that's much more honorable than just following around all of the pro skaters just to get some skater D. And look, it's, it's mentioned very briefly. He was a skater brief. boy, so, so see you later, boy. Also, it's mentioned very briefly, but Koyomi says she likes her men, like, 10 or 20 years older. She so. does. Oh, so Koyomi's that one girl from Princess Jellyfish. Yeah, she's Leah Clark from Princess Jellyfish. Princess Jellyfish. But but, but with e- even more even more uh, emo. <laughs> all right. So all in all, all in all, uh, really good. Also, be I shouldn't be making fun of Akari for her methods and trying to get a man because I watched Devilman Crybaby to try to to get mine. <laughs> That is a good end to that segment. I'm not allowed. To, I'm not allowed to laugh at this character. I was successful. How, I was gonna ask. How uh, did that plan go? How did that strategy work out for you, Megan? I don't know, guys. How did it work out for me? So Noah, please go on, sir. Uh, go over the characters uh, that are. I thought these uh, three were gonna be a little more prominent. Um, as of episode five, they're not as prominent as the lead characters um the show seems to do the good ensemble cast thing where all of the secondary characters get a good amount of equal screen time and it's turning into a pretty big cast so for what they've got so far i'm pretty satisfied with market mcdonald's natsuki uh so far has only gotten the one scene in episode three where they go out on the town and she adds a nice contrast to the other three characters to akari koyumi and you so by that measure because um ensemble casts are the most boring when they all sound the same margaret sounds different enough from the other three that she you know stands out enough from them and there's as i was saying with david's directing there's a good sense of what uh her life must be like now that she's in a different school than three of her former friends so i'm sure that uh if the show is so inclined to explore that a little bit more and we'll get a little bit more into it but for what we got right now margaret did a a, a good job i want to talk about akari's um because 
I don't really think that Amberly Connors is that dynamic in this role. I'm, I'm going to be a little harsh on this, but I think it's mostly because the show is not supposed to be so melodramatic to the point that the characters sound super cartoonish. So even though we know Amberly Connors can be super dramatic and can also do a very over-the-top role in things she's done before, in this role, she, she's the most laid-back and like least standout-ish I think I've heard her in a while, except in scenes where she gets super hyped up about wanting you to get involved in the sports club or talking about how awesome her team is doing. Like, she has spurts of it, but for the most part, it's very laid back. It's like a very grounded casting role. Um, so that's not really a bad thing, but it is a bit different than what I expected from this type of character. Because every show of this ilk has this type of character, the uh, tomboyish sports star character, and this one is a little more laid back than I'm used to. But still, it, it's what the sh the show asked for, so Amber did exactly what she needed to. And I am so glad about Brittany getting cast as Koyumi, not just because I really like her in just about everything she does, but also, as Megan pointed out, I, I am a sucker for a good little bibliophile. And I knew I liked this character, and, and, and like, I, I didn't know why exactly. And then we got to episode five and she reveals she's been writing a novel this whole time. And I'm like, I knew, I knew there was a reason I liked this character. I'm so, I, like, I don't know what is, but subconsciously the show got me to like a character without even knowing why. But okay, as for the actual acting portion of it, Brittany has this natural rasp to her voice that is really distinct. Like you can tell it's her in just about anything she does from like way back in the early 2000s when she first started. Uh, but usually she uses it for, um, like, comedic moments. She kind of plays it up as a overly peppy kind of uh, girl character. And at this point, she uses her rasp to emphasize um, maturity, which is refreshing. Uh, she uses that rasp to convey a sense of... She may not be older than the other characters, but she's definitely wiser than the other characters. So uh, contrast that with the Japanese, which was just kind of a typical... Uh, stoic uh, high school girl voice. Brittany is a lot different and a lot more enjoyable to listen to. She seems to favor complete words in her speaking patterns, and she has a lot of emotions that can get conveyed across just by the simple way she speaks. Again, I'll attribute that a lot to the writing because Marie's, uh, Marissa's writing conveys a whole lot in very few words. So couple that with Brittany's excellent emotional acting, and you've got my favorite of the secondary characters in this entire cast. Alrighty, alrighty. Thank you very much. And like I said, she's ten or twenty-eight. She's just a guy's ten or twenty years older than her, so you do so still have a chance I just yet. Excellent. I I can't. Yes. Oh, God, you just made me realize that I'm in my 20s. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're old. To steal Anyways. a line from Yuri on Ice, I'm going to go crawl under a rock and die. Anyways, uh, as for these characters, uh, I very much enjoyed, while it's a small part, I very much enjoyed Margaret McDonald's uh, quick little thing as Natsuki. I love her casual banter with the other girls during the arcade montage scene when she's picking the movie, and it's very much like, even though she's not part of that group, you can very much tell she's part of their group still, regardless. And I think that's totally, totally fair and fun. She's got a nice, casual, like, tomboyish ish girl thing going on for her, and I'm also just glad to see Margaret McDonald somewhere in the show, because I recall seeing she was very happy being in a show like Citrus, 
which was going into like LGBT stuff. And even if it's a small bit part, I'm still glad to see her here regardless, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. As for Koyomi, uh, Brittany Karbowski is always a fun, fun time. Anytime you get to see her do any of her stuff. And in this particular role, she's playing much more of the stoic, done-with-your-shit kind of friend. <laughs> and that's always very fun, especially in contrast to Akari, who is much taller and more energetic and hyperactive. And Koyomi is a lot shorter, quieter, and much more low-key in energy. Especially by the time you find out she's been working long and hard to write a novel and she's straight up sleeping and passing out in her class. Like, you see a lot more of her snark and her banter when it comes to shooting the shit with Akari and teasing you. But also, I actually really like the little cute moment when she's trusting her friend to read her novel that she's been working her heart and soul into. I really felt a lot of that coming from um, Brittany Karbowski very sincerely. As for Amber Lee, I'm actually going to disagree with you on that because I think Amber Lee is a very dynamic actress in a lot of the stuff she does, and she's very different anytime I get to see her do her stuff. This reminds me a lot of her as Ayano from Hanabato in a way, where her more casual demeanor is very friendly and whatnot, but when you see the revelation that the guy she's been confessing to is actually like he turned her down and she sort of had to come up with a big speech to make peace with the fact that uh i i can't get this guy what am i going to do with it it's a very tender and heartbreaking moment mm -hmm. but one very much she tries to come off cheerful and positive regardless and i think amber lee does a very stellar job conveying the emotion of that regardless and i very much enjoyed it now, I think it's time for us to get very political for a second and talk about the members of the school's student body. That we are going to be talking about Kuze, the former student council president who very much is not good at his job. <laughs> Suguru Dojima, the other guy in this show. And Sayaka Sayeki, who is basically... Uh, Toko's plus one in regards to everything and anything in regards to the council. These three are... I, I'd say Sayaka is the most important of them, but Kuze mm -hmm. and Dojima are still worth mentioning regardless. And I wanted to know if anybody had any predictions for these three at all. I had one... I do actually have predictions for, uh, Dojima and Sayaka. Okay. And I have one Sorry, for I have one for Sayaka. Um, Dojima shows up only in episode five, I think. He shows up first in episode four. Yeah, four. You're right. I used Wikipedia to make the cast predictions. Uh, that is not a credible source. Look, I used it for character names. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, my prediction for Dojima, it I had Adam Gibbs or Blake Shepard because I didn't know what he was gonna be like. So I just picked two dudes Sentai I liked. <laughs> and for Sayaka, um, again, I whipped out a, I whipped out a, a fucking copy of Review Starlight Yay. cast. So I had uh, Patricia Duran or Lucy Christian. Interesting. Banana. I forget who. I forget banana nice. I forget who uh, Patricia Duran plays again. 
Uh, she, I, she, oh, she's the one with the baseball episode. No, no, she's wait. not. No, Patricia. Wait, That's Maggie Flecknaway. Wait, who's the one? Wait, who is she? In that? Never mind. We'll get. Yeah, we'll, we'll look. I'll up. check. I'll check this up in a second. Hold Noah, on, I who, got it. Yeah. Um, my uh, predictions w was just for Sayaka. Um, she shows up in episode one, and um, her entire persona seems to be like the wingman to um Toika, and she's got. She all seems to have a little more sass when I first see her. Um, I think my first impressions of her were a little bit wrong when we find out a little bit more about her. But for that initial impression, I want—I thought Stephanie Whittles would be a good voice. Because Stephanie has a range of emotions, but the one that she conveys well in Arena from Food Wars is that sass. Um, maybe not as sassy as Arena, but if you like tone it down a little bit, then you get to the level that Sayaka needs to be. And that's why I put her in that role. All right. Also, be uh, I picked her because she's a uh, Hikari from uh, Ruby Starlight. Hikari, thank you. I was... Okay, and playing our student council, uh, playing Kuze is one Adam Gibbs, playing Dojima is Greg Kote, and, and playing Sayaka is I never know how to say this name, Sh Shania Moore. Uh, Adam Gibbs, you've heard as such characters as. Yuki Anzai from Devil's Line, Ruki Mukami from Diabolic Lovers More Blood, Shinichi Izumi from Parasite the Maxim, and Hiromi Natsu from Beyond the Boundary. Greg Kote, you've heard as Taiko Minato from Doreku the Animation, Kenta Saijo from Typhoon Norida, Ryanosuke Tanaka from Haikyuu, and Mugi Awaya from Scum's Wish. And Shania, you've heard as Kei Shido from School Live, Kanai Yajima from Aoharu Machine Gun, Kuon from Utaware Yumomo, The False Faces, and Tomoyo Kanzaki when supernatural battles become commonplace. I did not think about how I was going to say these, Jet. Please. It's Utaware Mato or Underwater Ray Romano. Underwater Ray Romano is a very good nickname. Thank you very much. Uh, Jet, uh, if you would, please. So, uh, like Witnowski, I really do, didn't remember much from Kuze other than, hey, it's Adam Gibbs. I like Adam Gibbs' voice, <laughs> and that was, like, kind of it for me. <laughs> That's a compliment uh, he, in of itself. Yeah, like, he was there, and then he kind of wasn't, but again, not. I mean, but, I mean it's always nice to hear Adam Gibbs and things, so I, so that was nice, I guess. Um, uh, as for uh, Greg Coat, I'm not, like, super familiar with him. Um, and in addition to Dojima kind of, you know, being in the background at the moment, um, he was probably the most, like, awkward sounding of the performances I've heard <laughs> thus far, kinda. Uh, like, I got the impression he was trying to do, you know, like a very kind of dude bro-ish voice for Dojima, and I think that, like, mostly works. Uh, but there were a few instances where it came off as, like, maybe, like, a little forced for me, and his voice kind of felt like a, maybe a little too deep for the character design. Uh, I mean, it's listenable, but uh, it was probably, like, maybe the weak link for me here. Um, okay. As for uh, Chennai, I've um, never really heard of her before checking out this show, and um, I kind of half and half on her performance as Sayaka. Um, I think she definitely, like, plays Sayaka with this sense of grace, and, you know, it makes it easy to see why she's so well-respected among her peers, uh, while also carrying across, you know, those occasional bits of envy that leak out concerning you and Toko's relationship. 
Um, at the same time though, it did feel like a little rough around the edges for me in a few instances. And there were at least a couple of places where I thought the performance maybe sounded a little bit flat, but I do think there is like quite a bit of potential there. Uh, both for the character and for the performance though, so hopefully with any luck uh, we'll get to see that capitalized on. Uh, but for right now I got him a little bit mixed, and yeah, I guess that's it. That's totally fair, though of the little I know in future episodes, hopefully we'll get to see her shine a little more. Um, Megan. Um, Adam Gibbs, he was in the show. Was it Adam or Scott? It Adam. Adam. Okay, cool, because sometimes I keep getting them confused. Um, Scott was also in this show, just as a different guy. Adam Gibbs, you were in this show for like five seconds. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for your work. Collect your paycheck at the door. Or watch out, Kyle's probably going to drag you into a session of Haikyuu. Um, uh, Greg Cote, I love Greg Cote. Greg Cote's a fun dude. I love him very much. Um, he and I are odd friends with each other. Those are the best We're kind of Twitter. friendships. We're weird Twitter buddies. Um, no, Greg Cote did the, uh, I was surprised to actually hear him, uh, do the kind of, like, a more laid-back Tanaka dude bro voice, because, uh, if you've never seen Haikyuu's dub, this is very similar to his character Tanaka, uh, Tanaka, who is, it is so much fun in that show. But I like that it's a little bit toned down, but I do agree with Jet that it does kind of uh, stand out in a in a show that has a lot more mellowed performances from people. Uh, trust me, I get to talk about my favorite Sentai actor soon, so yay! Um, and I'll, I'll talk about some of his performances and, and why I like him as a character in a bit. But um, Greg Greg was good, but I will agree with Jet that he is a bit of the the, the weakest link of the characters who haven't talked as much. And then uh, Cheyenne as Sayaka. Um, I'm also with Jet that I'm a little bit mixed on her. At times she is really good, and at times she is just like I don't know what's going on, but I I will follow you. And it's not weak. It's just. Maybe I'm not getting it yet because I don't get the characters' motivations yet, and I don't think that they've become apparent by episode five. It's yes. obviously clear that she and uh, and Toko have uh, is Toko. Is it Toko or to Toko? Toko? It is to It is Toko. Is what it should be. Because no, think... there's a couple of slip ups where they say Toka. I'm also pretty sure I've heard Noah say Toka a couple times. But um. Like, it's obviously clear that... I think they even make a joke about this at one point. It's like, oh, there goes the married couple. Which one do you think wears the pants? You know, because... <laughs> I love that line in episode four. The fact that they actually say which one of them wears the pants was very interesting, but I could... It was it. like a drive-by line. It took me a second. It took me a split second to realize... Wait, what? What are you talking it's, about? Honestly, it's... A, it's it's weird because if you think about it, like, there are some, like, people who are in, uh, like... It's, it's weird, because it's like, ha, huh, that line is funny to people, but it's at the same time, it's like, if you're actually a lesbian, people have asked you that, and it gets kind it's kind of, it's kind of rude, because it's, it's, I'm not speaking for all lesbians, but I've seen this argument before that a line, like, something like, oh, which one of you wears the pants in the relationship mm -hmm. is, which one of you is the man? Yeah. Mm. 
It's like, which one? It's like, no, we're both it, girls. Like, it's like, it, like, literally, it's like, which one of you wears the pants to the relationship? We both wear pants. Women wear pants, you fucks. Right. The, the fact that it was delivered not by uh, some of the one-off girl characters, but it actually delivered by, like, the asshole-ish high school boy characters. Cool guys who are like, oh, no wonder. Like, I wonder if there's, like, that expectation of, oh, no wonder Toko, uh, Toko keeps rejecting all of the guys. She's clearly with Sayaka, who's her wife. And it's just like... Me and Steph kind of have a relationship that's really close, like Toka and Sayaka. Obviously, uh, Steph's not a lesbian. I'm I'm in a relationship with a guy, despite being bisexual. Like, surprise! I'm I'm by you guys. So, so Megan, like, who does wear the pants? I wear pants. I don't like skirts. Okay, I hate skirts. Got skirts are the worst. Gotcha. So, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Skirts are the worst. Ugh. Agreed. Let people wear their clothes, but obviously it's obviously it's delivered by like two dumb guys in the background. So of course it's just like, but obviously it's like I I want to know what's going on with this character's head, and I want to see where Cheyenne takes her, because at this point I don't think I know enough about the character to really have something to sink into the performance. Mm -hmm. That's because it's like obviously there's there's a lot of emotionality there, but. A lot of the uh, the waveringness in the performance, I don't know if it's because, hey, obviously I don't think Dave's a bad director. I think it's does, because this is a, a dub cast simuldub, how much does this actress know or is she allowed to look ahead or is she growing into the character as she goes along with the show? That's fair. Hmm. So all in all, like... Not not bad, but still a little mixed. I want to see where the performance goes by the end of the show. Okay. Thank you. Noah. Um, I'll have only brief thoughts to say about, uh... I'd say about, uh, Kusei and, uh, Dojima, because... Yeah, Kusei is, like, a funny cameo. I, I feel like, um... Uh... Putting, um... Putting him in the show is kind of like, uh... It's like uh, that funny uh, celebrity cameo that you get, which uh, livens up the show for a tiny little bit. I don't know if he's going to come back later, but it it's kind of nice to see that um, even in the world of modern day high schools, that there's always that one guy who's not pulling his weight but still gets all of the credit. I'm glad they acknowledge that, that still exists. Um, Dojima, uh, for Greg Kote's Dojima, I don't really have any bad things to say about it because, I, like, a bad performance to me, or, like, even a confusing performance, is one that doesn't fit with the character as they're written or animated, and Greg has this choppy speech pattern that, like Jet said, is kind of trying to emulate this dude-bro mentality where, like, the, one of the first things he says is, um, it's kind of nice that we got two hot babes as, on the student council. So, so tell me, are you Team Toko or the Sayaka Squad? Which I appreciate as good writing as Marissa, like, getting the kind of ways that guys would, would spin that around to make it illiterate and nice and funny. Because that's kind of what Dojima's character is all about. So I think Greg did it. I forget what he calls the you, the you one. I, I think he just asks. I think he just asks Maki if you're more into you. I don't think he even gives her like a team name. Jokes on you, asexual people exist, asshole. That that they do. Which that that more more on that later. That lends more depth to it when we get more to Maki's character. But yeah, Greg's doing what he needs to for this character. 
Um, more specifically, it contrasts with uh, the character who play the voice actor who plays Maki later, because they're both the only currently male characters on the current student council. So yeah, contrasting each other and also being the unlikable guy who is kind of like the stand-in for, I'm assuming, the standard hetero guys that we have in this cast. He did what he was supposed to do well. Now, Sayaka. Sayaka is interesting. And hearing both Jet and Megan say that they're not quite sure what this character's deal is, I think says a lot about our expectations going into the show. Because Sayaka's character in most other shows would be one of two things. She would be either the third wheel character who is... Like, you know, the, the third girl in the group who doesn't quite belong, but still, and then feels the longing of her friendship leaving her as you kind of muscles her way in. Or she would be the token bitch character who is trying to break them up and is unlikable. And we're like, but we keep her around. Like, we, we keep her around in the show. Saika is neither of those things. She is a much more subdued, career driven kind of person who we keep around because she is good at what she does. Like, in episode two i think it is where you is chosen as a campaign manager for toko as over sayaka and sayaka's not really sure how to comprehend that her relationship with toko doesn't really sour they have to talk things out as mature high schoolers can and by the end of it they're back on speaking terms with each other as president and vice president respectively so shania's portrayal of that is to give her a very refined genteel speaking voice uh, it's almost the same pitch that Amber Lee Connors is using, but instead of where Amber is more hyped up and tomboyish, uh, Shania is using it for a very um, upper, uh, what's the word, like, like uh, older classmate kind of voice who's like very career-driven towards what her long-term goals are. And that refinedness uh, keeps her from really seeming like she's too good for this world. Like, she's a friend that you keep around because she's a reliable kind of friend. So uh, the performance on there is exactly what I thought it should be. Uh, it's got almost kind of like a Southwest dialect to it to contrast some of the other voices. So again, like that refined keeping up appearances voice that she keeps to it throughout all times really helps to sell the grounded emotions of the show. Whereas like we're not supposed to laugh at her suffering and we're not supposed to relate to anything bad she's doing because she's not doing anything bad. It's just very grounded emotions that makes it more three-dimensional than we're used to. So, yeah, Kusei, uh, Adam Gibbs is really good whenever he gets to do things. And I like hearing him as this arrogant, like, oh, you guys can take care of this for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then watching Egg, uh, Sayaka basically kind of being like, you realize your bitch ass hasn't done any work, right? It's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. uh, you guys got it for me, right? Okay, thanks, bye. And then he leaves the show entirely. See you guys, I'm going to college. <laughs> And then there's uh, Dojima, uh, which it was very, I will admit, I, I very much was amused by the particular, hey, dude, yo, which one do you think is hot kind of tone. <laughs> but it definitely was a very surprising juxtaposition, especially to like Maki's much more subdued tone of just him being like the, yo, look at all these hotties. I hope we see a little more about what uh, Dojima is about, but all in all, I think in regards to that much more, like, nonchalant dude bro aesthetic he's got going for him, I think Greg Kote pulled it off pretty well. Um, as for Sayaka, um, I wrote, I wrote something as a joke because I realized her name is Sayaka, 
What is it with Sayaka's how they're always the bridesmaid but never the bride? You ever notice? Boo! Boo! Look. I can't even boo you at this point. I, I'm. No, I can't do that. Sayaka Miki deserved better! Uh, in another I... timeline, she did. Probably. In another timeline, she did. Probably. That may or may not have ruined the whole point of Madoka Magica. Can I? Can I please make a really dirty joke? Uh, we can cut. You it. may go quickly. Man, I'm really hoping that other timeline that uh, Sayaka and her girlfriend uh, really get on their knees at church and enjoy a good time together. Thank you for that. Let's move on. Anyways, uh... Tacos for Jesus. Tacos for Jesus. Sayaka! Uh, Shania, or Shania, however you say it. I think Sayaka's portrayal is very interesting. It's a lot more casual and older sent... Sen I, I don't know how words work. Casual and older sounding, but she's got a whole big old senpai vibe. Like, that's the way she presents herself, but you can always tell... She's a lot more casual and older sounding in the way she carries herself. She's got that big ol' senpai vibe going for her strong, the way everybody sees her and sees her as trustworthy. She's basically the number two. But it's it's interesting seeing her interact with Toko because you can tell she lets a lot more of like her personal childish child childishness. Childishness. Basically, she lets herself be a little more immature when she's getting casual and friendly with Toko. Maybe when she's getting a little jealous that Yu's running her campaign and she isn't, or... She had a speech that... all prepared and everything. She wrote a speech and everything. Like, that must have been such, like, a dick move. <laughs> like, uh Bless, bless her heart for, give, for helping you out regardless. Toka, I, I and... wrote our vows and everything. God, she really did, didn't she? Anyways, uh, there's. I think you actually nailed it pretty well, Noah, where it's kind of like she would be in other shows. She would be the third wheel or the one trying to sabotage, and she really isn't either. So it's interesting to kind of see, like, what we expect Sayaka to be. She has yet to really show what she is. But I think either way, Shania, like... I don't think it's perfect, but I definitely think she has been growing into this character, and I'm more than willing to see what she's capable of doing, as I know she's capable of making me feel things because she's K in school lived, and that made me feel many things. <laughs> okay, okay. Anyways. I get PTSD now. I think it's time we move on to a little section I like to call Team Wingman. This is for two characters. This is for... Uh, this is for Rei Koto, which is, uh, Yu's older sister, and Seiji Maki, who is a another member of the student body and is a first year like Yu, who actually witnesses, uh, Yu and Toko share a tender moment together and decides to keep that secret to himself. So... Did anybody have predictions for these two characters? Uh, I have one for Maki. That's it. Okay. 
my predictions for Maki were Bryson Vegas or Scott Gibbs. Both of them can do uh, softer spoken boys. And when I read that this is a guy who uh, can be listened to by girls pretty easily, those are the first two voices that popped into my head. Totally. And I'm very mad that I didn't pick who it is. Totally fair. Uh, playing the role of Big Sister Ray is our show's scriptwriter slash assistant director, Marissa Lenti. And playing the part of Seiji Maki is Clint Bickham. Yay! I I love Clint Bickham so much. You may have heard Marissa as other characters, such as Karina Goldschmidt from Rio Rainbow Gate, Momoko Hyakushiki from Nanbaka, Chiaki Hoshinomori from Gamers, and Alicia Florence in the upcoming Aria the Animation dub. Clint Bickham, you've heard as such characters as Iki Kuragane from Chivalry of a Failed Knight, O.D. from Gachamon Crowds, Mochizo Oji from Tamako Market, and Akihito Kanbara from Beyond the Boundary. My boy. All right. Uh, Jet, would you like to start us off here? So, honestly, I don't really have, like, a whole ton to say about Ray thus far. I mean, I like her character. It's, like, it's fairly... I mean, it's it's fairly it's fairly interesting, and I like a lot of her interactions with you. But I mean, I guess she hasn't really had like a whole super ton to do yet, so it hasn't left like a really gigantic impression on me. But I did like that whole little bit at the end of episode five, where uh, as I uh, where she got to interact with Toko a little bit, and she like gives her the recipe for the cheesecake. I thought that was kind of cute. <laughs> oh, that was such a cute scene. I love it. It's so sweet. No, and then after yeah. when she sends her the cheesecake, she sends her the picture of her uh, her sister sleep on the floor, and Toko is just losing her garbage. <laughs> Big sister has the goods. She, mm-hmm. Like, if this was an AR show, there would be nosebleed action all over that girl. Damn right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clint, Pitt, Clint Pittum, of course, I'm very familiar with, and, um, yes, I, and I, I really enjoyed his performance so far. Uh... He plays Maki as, you know, very quiet and unassuming, which, you know, mostly helps to make the character kind of blend into the background for the first couple of episodes. Uh, but that really pays off in space when you find out that's actually very deliberate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maki is the kind of guy who sees himself as, you know, very much a background character and uh, mostly just wants to limit his level of involvement in other people's lives to kind of, you know, just being supportive. And uh, that reserved nature of his, like, it really came through very well in Clint's performance. And uh, his delivery of that scene where Maki, you know, just kind of imagines his life, like, where he's in a movie theater just watching other people do their own things on the screen, uh, it really immediately just sold me to the character, and I really liked that. I just really liked that scene a whole lot. I think it's a phenomenal scene. We'll definitely go more into that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I get the feeling that the series might you know, be doing something bigger with him later on, and I'm definitely very curious to see where that'll go. Uh, for, for the moment, I'm just, I'm totally on board with this. I really like it. Watch it turns out that he's the supervillain all along. Please no. Please no. That would break my goddamn heart. I don't expect it at all. I just think it'd be funny. No, no, that, that's what this is leading into, really. It's just all about, he, because he, he started the student council as like, you know, a low-life member, but he's secretly planning his domination of the school. 
He, it's like that one episode of Gumball when, like, the nicest kid actually has, like, an evil manifesto to take over the school. It's exactly... It could be exactly like that, if this was that kind of show. Uh, I'm sorry, goddammit, Fire Emblem, just take my goddamn wallet! Uh, please hold on to your wallet for a little while longer, Megan, and tell us what you thought about Ray and Maki. I'm going to be really quick about Ray. Uh, Marissa Lenti as Ray was quite interesting. I thought that she was a uh, an interesting choice for her. I liked the uh, kind of tone to her voice, the big sisterness, and all of that. Uh, I hope that she shows up more in the show because I think she was great. Uh, but let's talk about Ray. Let's talk about Maki. Um, God, Maki is such a... He's such a good boy, and... <laughs> Shut up. I'm hormonal and emotional. No, no, you're right. Um, I'm just remembering back to, like, earlier in this week when you were talking about the characters, you were, like, you were saying, like, Maki is such a good boy. Earlier this morning. Uh, no, because I don't get to talk about Clint Bickham enough on this show, and he is legitimately one of my favorite actors at Sentai. I have not disliked him in anything, and trust me, it makes me so happy I get to talk about him in a Kyoto animation show again very soon. Um, but I think what really sold me on this is that, um, and Marissa was very adamant about getting to write Maki as a character, as, um, Maki is essentially, uh, for all intents and purposes, one of the very few asexual anime characters or aromantic anime characters there have ever been. Like, explicitly in, in canon described as such. It, it, as aromantic. Yeah. And um, as somebody who actually wavers in romanticism between bi and demi-romantic, which is a another form of... De being demisexual is another form of asexuality. It's... You feel... You only feel, like, sexual attraction from what I understand, two people you have an incredibly deep emotional connection with, which is something that I feel like, I, I, I like to open up a little bit, I have only actually been in two romantic relationships in my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, my first one lasted for six years. And when I was out of it, I did not feel any attraction to somebody. Or I've only, like, I never felt like super crazy. I only maybe only felt crazy attraction to two people but they were both one person who rejected me and the other one who I'm obviously dating now um so Maki's story about how he doesn't see himself feeling that for other people and how Clint really played him was very touching and very very calming and soothing and almost like it's weird to say you get a hug from someone's dub performance Hear me out, I'm being metaphorical and, like I said, like, emotional. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, especially for me, like, Akihiro Kambara as a character is very much more energetic than Maki. Um, another character that Quint Bickham plays that I've watched uh, a little bit of because we were actually surprised. Uh, fun fact, uh, before somebody who was supposed to do this episode had to bow out for a little while, um... The original, like, ladies' night, quote-unquote, because we knew that Gigi wasn't going to be doing an episode this season that wasn't a full review. Um, the actual ladies' night for the season before it got switched to Maria was actually going to be Suritama. 
which has Quint Bickham playing a character who might as well be a sugar high. Um, if you've never seen Suritama, I refuse to tell you the plot of Suritama. Yeah, you- because that show is that show is best experience blind as fuck. It, it look, um, yeah, I've only seen the OP know. of it, and I've I've been very attracted. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. If you've never, you also be watching because I think it's one of the those shows that's very soon to be anaplexed. I'm soon to be uh, anaplexed. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's if you know impressive. what I'm saying. But back to, to Clint Bickham. Um, no, I he's honestly one of my favorite of the show, and I want Maki to show up more, and I want more of Maki's relationship with you, which I really appreciate on the sense that it he he does think that she's she's lying about being in love with Toko. Uh, one of my favorite deliveries, and I think everyone had it. Uh. Sound, uh, was it? Sounds strange, like, but okay. It's basically just a, a scene where it's like, I don't have any feelings towards her. I don't care for her. And he's just like, sounds fake. Fake, but okay. But okay. And he's just very nice about it. Uh, but one of the things I really enjoy about the show, uh, actually, is the platonic friendship between both, uh, you and Maki as a, as a young, as two young high schoolers. Who are also two young high schoolers who a lot of people also theorize that you is ace or you might be demisexual and they come from a very mutual under mutual place but on the opposite spectrums where you is in denial of her feelings but Maki has come to very much accept this side of himself since a young age. I mean, you obviously have the stuff when he's in when uh, I think. Sayaka asks him why he joined the student council. He's like, oh, well, I've always, I joined sports teams as a kid, but I never wanted to be the big athlete. Um, And then you have the thing of the coach going, do you want to be the manager? Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. And I, I just genuinely think that Clint put such a, like, a softness and an openness and a vulnerability to this character. And I could literally sit and gush about Clint Bickham for an hour <laughs> and how he needs to be in more fucking anime. Like, please. Also, make more Haikyuu so he can go back to being Kenma. He really wants to go back to being Kenma. Kenma's another character that I think is kind of more in the Maki range of his voice if he wanted another, um... Kind of, like, to, to branch off when you're like, I don't know about this. This is an actor I know doing this. It's like, oh, well, it's like, um... When people are worried about Monica playing an older character, it's like, oh, well, she's played Michiko before. And you're like, oh, okay. So it used so to be that's that. kind of my story. It used to be that you, you heard her. Young Megan, when she was young, would used to write letters to Santa Claus asking for toys and other paraphernalia. But now that she's gotten a little bit older and wiser, she writes San- letters to Santa asking for Clint Bickham to be in more anime. Just put no, him in she- more anime, fuckers! No, she writes letters to Sentai Claus. <laughs> Sent. <laughs> You thought these puns were going to end, motherfucker? God damn. You thought Stop these puns were going to stop, motherfucker? I don't know whether to punch you or hug you. Uh, let me do both. I have two hands. Uh, hug him in the... I'm done. Go uh, ahead. Punch hug. Punch hug. Punch hug. That was a good punch hug. Oh, Please continue. They're making a list. They're checking it twice. They're gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Sentai Claus is coming to dub. And give you free shipping. 
No. Only on orders that are over $75. This is not a sponsored video to tell you that you can go to Sentai.com to purchase all of these great products for limited time only. Excuse me, it's shop.sentaifilmworks.com. I don't have the URL in front of me. What I do have in front of me are my notes about the two characters of Rei and Maki, which I should probably talk about instead. Uh, Please do. Rei is, um, uh, uh, Marissa... Ray is. Um, I'm glad that you asked to put her in this discussion, Andrew, because her, uh, she's very adult. Like she sounds very adult. It, like I had no um, inclinations that this was a actress who was supposed to be playing a high school student. She's uh, well, she is supposed to be playing. Like I think she's supposed to be in college, isn't she? It might be something like college age or something. I could buy that. Okay, because I mean, it's not uncommon for um, college students to still be commuting from home. That's not like an uncommon. It's not like in our society where as soon as you go to college, you're like some of us are expected to move out. So Marissa's performance is great. Is really interesting in how her voice sounds, but also how she balances out the uh, mature older sister persona with also the immaturity portion of it. Like when she's clinging to her boyfriend saying like, you can't have my hero sort of voice to her where she, most of the time she actually acts more immature than you does, which is not uncommon for uh, some older sisters. I'm sure some of you out there have had older siblings who acted much more immature than yourself do. So yeah, so the Ray's interesting, and I do like the scene where she takes the sh she sends the recipe of the cheesecake, and then she sends the shot of the cheesecake, which is you sleeping, and that just made the end of the episode so much sweeter. Ah, uh, double cheesecake, uh, good stuff. Double cheesecake all the way across my screen. No, we're already no, that's enough as it is. that's when you watch a fan service anime. Yeah, this is not this is not a fan service show. Although there is service for your eyeballs, which we'll talk about later when it comes to the direction. But as far Sakuga, <laughs> that Sakuga, <laughs> the most delicious meal. It is delicious, but I, I'm going to talk about the subtler parts of that later that aren't even considered Sakuga. But Maki, let's talk about Maki here. So Clint Bickham's. I don't really know what I what in my head is Clint Bickham's normal speaking voice because I've heard him in like a wide range of things and he never sounds like the same thing. But in this show, he's got like this softer and reserved voice that's got a bit of a nerdy rasp to it. And I I, I like the fact that okay, it reminds me a lot of you guys have seen shows where uh, female voice actresses play young boys, right? Yes. I get the feeling that Clint is using the same vocal tics because his, the way he perfor, per, yeah, portrays Maki reminds me a lot about how some women will portray young boys, even because their voice just matches that. Like, obviously, Clint is a man and Maki is also a man, but it's that same sense of trying to, like, blur the, uh, the age brackets that I don't hear a whole lot. And that's an interesting thing for Clint to pull off. So it just made Maki a lot more interesting to listen to. I thought he was going to be uh, you know, like a really mellow, softer, wimpy kind of voice that you get from like a lot of these isekai leads or harem lead characters is kind of what he was designed like. But he doesn't sound or act like that at all. So again, kind of like with Saika, we're subverting some expectations about what we expect these characters to act like just based on what they look like. So uh, the only thing I could kind of negatively say about it is that there's a bit in episode five where Clint is like in the classroom. He's in the student council room with you and 
like he, he doesn't quite get the hint that maybe I should leave so that you and Toko can be alone together and then he has like this awkward uh, I, I guess I should get going kind of voice to him that sounded more awkward than would like it didn't sound intentionally awkward it just sounded like bad reading awkward but that, that's like a one-off thing other than that he's, he's pretty good at subverting my expectations about what Maki is supposed to be alrighty uh, Ray, uh, Marissa Lenti is a very interesting, distinct voice who I've heard a lot of range out of her, and like I said, it is very interesting getting to hear her play somebody who's technically more of an adult, but still has a lot of, like, the teenage heart that makes her similar to her sister, is that she is very much an older person, but she is not necessarily older in how she acts in that like, she has a boyfriend, but she's very bratty, and she she teases her sister a lot. And I think one of the more interesting things that's very subtle that is that there's this brief moment, I think in episode 3, when we're meeting the family, where there is, like, a distinction in regards to how uh, the sister would react and how the dad would react. <laughs> is, that they make a, is that they make a joke specifically about, like... Uh, is that is that your friend or is that your girlfriend or something? It's like, she's not my girlfriend. And then the dad is just like, oh, thank God. I don't think my heart could have taken it. Which is like, in one sense, it's a small seed, but it's a very interesting, like, why would you be so object to that, man? What's, what's up with that? But like, we're not sure and if it means it, that he objects to her having a partner at all or the fact that she might be into girls at all. While, on the other hand, you have Ray, who not only makes several quick jabs about, oh, is that your girlfriend or something, but straight up, flat out becomes the wingman <laughs> to Toko, and is like, okay, I see what's up, she likes the cheesecake, you want the cheesecake, here's the cheesecake, here's my picture of sleep, okay, thanks, bye. I mean, you can tell that she's already, she's already scheming everything out when she says, well, I can't write down this recipe for you, but if you give me your contact information, then I could text it oh, to no. you. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's playing the long con, and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, well, uh, I just, uh, you have a cell phone, I have a cell phone. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the odds of that? Yeah. But, yeah, I think Marissa's tone of voice is very much like it is older, but it is very much childish and sincere at heart, and I love the conversation she has with you and the scene she has with Toko. As for Clint as Maki, this is really interesting because it's real. I really was not expecting this character to turn out the way he did. Is that he basically is when the show starts. He's he's a huge fucking wallflower, and then you realize episode four, he's a huge fucking wallflower, but that's the whole point. <laughs> is that he is a whole wallflower. And the fact that I really like the visual metaphor of living his life as the guy in a movie theater by himself, which is a very unique perspective of showing somebody who is like asexual or aromantic as somebody who is just in a theater by himself. But he does not hate it. He does not object to this. He's okay with this. The seat's comfortable. He can recline back. 
He's got all the snacks he wants, and he very much enjoys the show that he's watching. He's I a... like that this show, like, I'm sorry to interject on your point. It's fine. I like that this show goes out of its way with uh, Maki if, like, because there's also the theory of, oh, well, what if Maki ends up being, like, gay later? Um, but I like that the show, if Maki is asexual, that Maki isn't shown as being confused or broken. And the, the show actually does a really good job about actually showing that visually. Because there's this one cliche in anime where the character who is confused is in the dark physically, and the character who is not is in the light. And they do that with Maki and Yu. There's a scene where they're walking down the road to their school. Maki is out in the light, but Yu is in shadow from the trees. And as they're talking, Yu actually steps out of the shadows into the light as she realizes more about how she's feeling for Toka. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And there's, that's also one of the other things, I, like, we could talk about it later, is uh, I think it's in, like, episode two where um, Toko realizes her feelings, but you get the, dis the like, the video distortions and the blackness of Maki. And also, B, one of the other things I like is in that scene where you is, when Maki says to, to you, oh, I saw you two being close to each other, uh, how the shadows between them meld into the rumors of other people yeah that mm. what the show does i'm sorry i'll let you have the floor back in a second andrew but this direction is really great because the worst kind of direction is visual bombardment like look at something like handshakers where it's not special anymore because the distinct visual style is throughout the whole thing but this show saves its special visual moments for when they have a really big impact as for clint i think he does a very good job being very like casual and laid back in regards to how he's talking but also showing that he's just a lot more shy and reserved but it's not he is he is shown as being happy with himself and the way he interacts he's a it's it's almost like too like i almost joked that it's like he seems like he's he laughs sincerely but I'm not used to that level of sincere laughter in this kind of show. That, like, when he had one laugh, I almost thought he was going to be, like... Speaking of Fire Emblem, he reminds me of Henry from Fire oh, no. Emblem, in a sense. Like, I feel like there's going to be one moment where he's going to laugh and be like, Ha Blood! He's, like, I think he's got that kind of laugh to him. Which is not the fault of, like, the show or the actor or anything like that. It's just something where it's like, I feel like he's happy, but it's almost like he is very happy. Henry's such himself, a weird which... character, too. Oh, I love Henry, but, though. No. I, I, and I love Clint as Maki. It's one of the stronger performances in this dub. And I was very impressed with him as well as I was very taken aback with the way the show presents and handles the character of Maki. Now, well, it's time, ladies and gent, for our two leading lovers. Is it it's time, it's time to talk about... It's time for the Toko. flower show. It's time for flower power. It's time to talk about Toko Nanami and Yu Koito. Toko Nanami is a second year who eventually becomes the student council president and Yu Koito essentially gets duped into being a member of the student council as well as eventually getting some help with turning a guy down only to get somebody else to fall for her in the process. So 
you you close one door and you accidentally <laughs> open up another. It's, it's troublesome how that works. Did we have any predictions for these two characters? Yes. Now, why would we have predictions for the two main characters, I ask you, Andrew? Don't smart mouth me, Noah, and just say your shit. I, I had some predictions, and I'm, I'm very mad at myself for it. And you'll find out why in a bit. Megan? Uh, I had predictions for Toko and you. For Toko, I had Margaret McDonald or Brittany Karbowski. And for you, Koito, I had Juliet Simmons and... A bunch of people are actually going to be surprised. I'm about to say this name. Maggie Fucknaway. <laughs> she really turned me around on herself as my favorite little baseball lesbian in Review Starlight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if you ask me what my favorite song in all of Review Starlight is. It is the, the baseball duet. She's the... It's a very catchy song. I don't blame you at all. So would you say that she is now the queen of diamonds? Go fuck yourself, Noah Clue. <laughs> Noah, I gotta say, you really struck out with that pun. <sighs> the puns were never gonna add people, let's be real here. No, no. Uh, so, uh, Noah? Your puns are just foul, you know that? Boo! All right, you're going in timeout until you tell me. Who did you predict for Toko and you? Well, now that you ask. Um, Toko is, uh, from her initial appearance, is a very calm, cool, and collected voice with a breathy voice to it. And the English voice actress, uh, some of you may know her, her name is Christina Kelly. Um, probably uh, Megan knows her best as Claudine in Review Starlight. Um, she's got that um, mature but still breathy and vulnerable voice to her that struck me as the kind of voice that I would see coming out of Toko from that initial scene where we see her politely rejecting the boy who uh, wants to go out with her. Now, as for you, this is one that's going to go back way, way back in time to a, a name that you've probably heard before, but maybe for a show you haven't seen in a while. Her design... Her personality and everything about her Japanese seiyu reminded me a whole lot of Duck from Princess Tutu. Oh my god, holy shit, she does look like Duck! Like, not, like, design-wise, everything, like, she looks a whole lot like, like her. Like, her hair goes in pigtails as opposed to a ponytail, but other than that, it looks like Duck! So, and Duck was voiced by Lucy Christian in the dub for Princess Tutu, and I, Lucy Christian can do a whole lot, so I'm like... I know that she can do this, so yeah, let's let's slot Lucy Christian as the our. Let yeah, you let's wanted do this. Lucy Christian. I want Lucy Christian. So close, so close. Us. But in the end, it didn't even matter because <laughs> playing the role of Toko is one Lucy Christian. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> and playing the role of you. I did not see this coming. None, <laughs> none other than Tia Ballard. How the fuck did that happen? David Wald's magic, that's why. No kidding. David Wald has friends in high places, and he can do what he wants with a snap of a finger and a twiddle of his nose. Lucy Christian has played such characters as Coconut Cocomine. Did you know she had a last name? Because I didn't know she had a last name. Y yep. Uh, it wasn't important because it didn't tie into the meta the butterfly metaphor from that episode. 
She plays Kokona from Flip Flappers, Sukasa Tyra from Devil's Line, Hestia from Is It Wrong to Try and Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? Yes, yes, stop doing it! You will be sent to jail if you try to do that! And Stella Vermillion from Chivalry of the Failed Knight. Every single time you mention the goddamn show, I'm going to tell you stop doing it! As for Tia Ballard, you've heard her as such characters as Nureha from Log Horizon, Rea Sanka from Sankarea, Megumi Shimizu from Shiki, and Rinko Yamato from My Love Story. Jet, you've been ever so patient. Would you like to start off us off once more? Uh, sure. Uh, so I gotta say, Toku is a very interesting character, to say the least. Um, when we first meet her, we, you know, we're given the impression that she's very mature for her age, and, you know, that she has a very good head on her shoulders and all that. And, uh, that's very much how Lucy per Lucy's performance comes off for, like, the first few episodes. Uh, Toku, in the first couple of episodes, has played, you know, very relaxed and level-headed. And as I end, I thought that was pretty nice. But of course, you know, as we get further into the show, it, it becomes apparent that Toko has, you know, plenty of her own, like, things going on. And, uh, plenty of her own insecurities. And, uh, Lucy plays up those moments of vulner vulnerability really well. Uh, while also managing to keep Toko's overall tone as natural as possible. And, uh, I also like how effectively she, you know, how effectively she bounces off of Tia's performance. And, uh, the chemistry between their performances is pretty strong. And, uh, you know, as far as, like, that, as far as Toko's end of their dynamic goes, I really appreciate that while Toko is very, you know, forward about how she feels, she doesn't come off as, you know, predatory. And that seems like a strange distinction to have to make, but, um, in a lot of these kind of stories, the aggressive one is usually, you know, the one who comes off that way. Basically! So I really appreciate that they didn't do that. Basically, they do not understand that no means no. Yeah, Citrus yeah. had that problem. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I'm really digging Lucy's performance so far. And um, you, of course, is another interesting character, and it's very interesting to hear Tia play her. Uh, for my part, I'm using Tia Ballard in two flavors. Uh, overly peppy and high-pitched like Happy the Cat, or sultry like Wit02 from Darling of the Franks. You, uh, on the other hand, is, you know, just kind of an average teen, and um, Tia plays her with a very soft-spoken and natural tone that I'm not, like, super used to from her performances, and it's, um, it's been kind of nice to listen to. And it helps that Yu's character in and of itself is, you know, pretty fascinating as... Uh, she's clearly very interested in love, and, you know, she spent a lot of time imagining that someday she'd just feel that romantic spark, only to find out, well, she doesn't, and, you know. And uh, even knowing that other people have feelings for her hasn't really, you know, done much to change that. And while it's not something I can, like, relate to directly, I do know, you know, that discovering that romance and attraction don't really work out the way you expect them to is uh, kind of a difficult thing. For, it's, you know, kind of a difficult phase for a te teenager to go through, and, uh, Tia plays off those feelings of, you know, those feelings of introversion really beautifully, and, um, it really helped me to feel for her, and, uh, I just really dug the character. And, of course, as I end, once again, I just really like how the dynamic between her and Lucy really plays off. 
And it's mostly how, you know, how her more, you know, kind of reserved tone plays off against Lucy, you know, being a lot more straightforward. And uh, it definitely helped to make both performances a lot stronger for me, so... Yeah, kudos to both these ladies. They're very good. They are best girls. But are they straightforward, though? Mmm, might be a little crooked. Mm. My, at best, they go both ways, you know. I'm sorry, I'm No, you're sorry. not! No, I'm... you fucking are. Don't lie. Do not lie. We have a polygraph attached to your nuts. Don't lie. <laughs> I don't know why you chose to do this while I was talking. I'm the one who was closest to you. This is true, and I'll make sure to uh, board my doors tonight. <laughs> Anyways, while I'm getting the I wood, just imagine uh, Jet, like, showing up outside your house with, like, rope duct tape, and, like, a PowerPoint presentation on how you're an awful person. It, I'm just expecting him to get those bottles and do the thing from the Warriors. <laughs> A Andrew, Andrew, you, you said you're gonna get the wood. No a clue. I would like you to know that we also have a polygraph strapped up to your nuts. I'm not dating hey, your daughter. Hey, hey, uh, Jet, you want to take a drive down to... Over uh, to. You're, oh, you're not going down, you're going over. Right. Anyways, Megan, please. <sighs> Men, we don't know what they did. Uh, no. So, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Oh, That's thanks. gonna be written on men's gravestone. <laughs> we all watched AMV Hell where that's set to love Hina. <laughs> Anyways. Toko and you are such an interesting dynamic of characters, and I definitely did not expect Tia Ballard to be you, especially because uh, one, this was a Sentai, a, a Sentai dub, a dub cast, um, so I, I was thinking that they wouldn't have pulled it over, and I know that if you think that this cast is insane, wait till we do the episode on Tada. Um, Holy, mm. holy Jesus! Um, it's staring me right in the face. Jesus Christ, I have to bring this up. So, I really like that Jet brought up the lack of predatory nature between Toka and you. Um, because one of the things I really appreciate about Lucy Christian's performance as Toko is um, that in a show that would be more fetishistic about their relationship, I'm saying this and, like, guys, I'm not knocking you if you're into citrus or anything like that. As I'm talking about this, I have a copy of Ten Count staring at me. If you know what happens in Ten Count, it makes citrus look tame. Um, and it- Also, citrus isn't the only thing with this problem. It's just the most recent example bad. to point out. Like, mm -hmm. guys, like, it's it's not getting a-, a, a, a any type of simul dub, and I honestly don't know if Onaplex will ever dub this. Thankfully, it has, and one of my friends actually complained about this to us, or brought up this point, which was, um, everybody knows of the nice show about the guy who, uh, slays the gab the gerblins, um, that a lot of people were very quick to call Goblin Slayer garbage for its, uh, very, very badly depicted scene of sexual violence, in episode one, but she brought up the same point was, well, nobody's complaining about I'm Daikichi and how, like, creepy and sexual harassing it is. And I'm like, that's because everybody knows to avoid it. And that everyone knows what Daikichi is. 
And this is a tangent and Gerblin Slayer Gerblin Slayer's another fucking trash fire that I'm not, not touching let's, about. Let's let's not let's not go to Gotham. Is your point, but Megan, is your point that expectations going into this can really determine what you Yes think what of you think end? of a performance. And one of the things that I like about and I think the show itself does this is that it does kind of have moments where you think that it's going to fall into like that wink wink nudge nudge you're about to see two girls almost kiss and you're gonna think it's hot and you're gonna get turned on by this but this show especially use character really subverts uh really kind of goes away from this and an example of this that really kind of got me is uh and i really like it about their performances is how you can be when she's dealing with toko uh being a dork is that you, Tia's performance as you is very blunt and very, like, uh-huh, yeah, I know you're doing this because you're in love with me. I don't feel that back, and I'm I'm terribly, like, I don't think she's sorry about it anymore, at least from episode five. She's come to accept, mm. like, yeah, uh, yeah, this is my girlfriend. I'm in a relationship. She even says that in her she's, own head. She's she like, says, oh, yeah, I'm like, taken. again. Oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna go after technically. Where, and the scene that I'm talking about is when they're in her bedroom and for some reason Toko sniffs her bed. Like, that's the only um, weird thing in the series that's happened so far is that Toko sniffs her bed. Um, I've only ever seen that done once in an anime and unfortunately it was a hentai. Oh! What is it with, like, the smell of the scent uh, where it's like, oh, you smell... Oh, this girl uses downy, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. All anime is just a secret fabric softener commercial. commercial. But, uh, no. Dang, dang, girl, you smell like the Tide Pods that were in my mama's jeans. <laughs> oh, girl. No, okay, Ooh, girl, like, you like smell to, like the Cuddle Soft Bear. To, end, to give a little bit of credence <laughs> to this, Megan, the I'm, idea that uh, what I'm trying scent to get is to... very intoxicating to people is not a new thing. Like It kind of makes the show dip from... Romantic to erotic at some points, like but no, nothing skeevy happens. But, the, but it's, it's that more putting mature. that ex it's putting that expectation in your head. And the scene that I'm getting into is that it's like my heart's racing right now. Do you want to hear it? And you think that, and even Toko thinks that she's gonna put her head on her chest, and she just holds a wrist. Goes, yeah, your pulse is really going. That was so great. I love that. <laughs> oh, that was such a good. And one she of the just things got, I like about Toko just got yuied so hard. And one of the things I really like uh, about she got. It's not blue balled. Uh, what would it be in this Clam jammed. <laughs> clam jammed. She got clam jammed. <laughs> Jet's here like, yep, it's these fucking people again. Jet, we love you. <laughs> but what is the- I thought, I thought tacos to... for Jesus was going to be the worst thing of the night, but nope. Clam jam. No spitting clams this night. But, uh, no, one of the things I... And to kind of bring this into uh, how I feel about Lucy and you is that Lucy, to me, really does bring out this this girl that is having her first time in love. And it's very puppy dog-ish. But it's also... she she She's trying to be that perfect girl. But, again, you have that in... I think it's in episode four, three or four... Where she does break down and she's like, let me, let me be, I, I'm running away from my past. It's a bit like Stephanie mm. Whittle's character in Tana, 
uh, Tanaka, who became the perfect girl because she was lonely. And I think what really works is that it's Lucy being upbeat and Lucy being positive, but also being, like, teetering on this knife edge of utter romantic despair that is posed against Tia Ballard's innocence and almost jadedness to how romance is supposed to work. It's it's like you it's like sitting down and watching every Disney movie, but when you meet the guy of your dreams, there's no musical number, there's no fireworks, there's no lantern scene. You're just looking at another person. And everything that you've been told in your life through society and through media and and Toko kind of does this before she herself kind of becomes a hypocrite if you think about it where Toko gives this big speech to you to give her the confidence to tell the guy no to deny him but yet she herself immediately falls into this trap and is now pushing that same expectation of her first love onto Toko onto you where she is just essentially giving you the confidence to to break that first love of another human being who happens to be male. And it's such a weird thing in a year where Tia Ballard plays a character that is almost the toxic antithesis to Yukoito in Zero Two. And their performances, obviously as characters, they're very different, but it's such an interesting dichotomy as somebody who watches dubs and when you follow actors and actresses where you're looking at the types of characters people play and obviously actors have range and the ability to act for a reason and I just think that you as a character for Tia Ballard is one of my all-time favorite performances of hers now because it is so grounded in a place that you don't really get to see a lot of an anime. Obviously, there's the theories is, is you an asexual? Is is you aromantic? Is you maybe demi-romantic, demisexual? Um, and I really like that in Tia that she is in the dark herself about her perform, like in the performance where it's like, you really feel it. And I've been talking a lot, and I feel bad because I feel like I've taken a lot of things from people, but one of the things I wish I could actually just spend, like, so much time railing the, uh, Zero Two versus You debate as characters and why I think You is a better character than Zero Two, but then again, that's another debate, and- That that, could be a whole podcast. We're gonna have that- Oh no, trust me, we're gonna have that civil war in about a week, so- All I'm saying is, like, look, they are both Tia Ballard characters. They're both amazing. Yeah, they're they're both amazing Tia Ballard performances. Uh, But I would say I think I like you a little bit better, and I think the character really helps that. And I think that Tia gets so many different facets and crevices to go in. And the other thing too is that there's obviously more growth that's going to happen. Like this is we're five episodes into the show, and. There's some. There's so much more to you that I don't think that Tia's even gotten to go into yet, which is so astounding to me. Like another show that Tia did for Sentai was My Love Story. 
But I felt like from moment one that Tia knew who Rinko Yamato was. And that as a character, Rinko Yamato is, was such a static at times to the voice that you know for Tia for doing a little bit older but still cheery and peppy. You and even five episodes, her her character, uh, her voice has really evolved. I mean, you in episode one mm-hmm. was so very unsure, but by you by like episode three when she's interacting with other characters, she has this confidence as she knows what she's kind of getting herself into and she's the much more mature. But anyway, go ahead and go ahead, Noah. Well, I'm glad I was fully fine with letting you have more of the words on here, just from the standpoint of you are the, I believe, Andrew, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're the only one of us who are actually in the LGBT uh, spectrum. So you're. I'm the only one on this episode who is in the B. Zenith is obviously TL. She's trans and a lesbian, so. Well, I just meant in this podcast. Yeah, I am the only one that is. Right, I'm sorry. We're the filthy heteros. I'm sorry. You're not a filthy. You're not a filthy hetero, yeah. Nobody's. A- we clean and use soap. Like, there, there's no shame. Like, everyone's like, "Oh, you filthy headers!" Like, no, there's no, there's no shame in being who you are and loving who you love. It's when you're a dick. It when you're a bigoted dick towards yeah. minoritized sexualities. That's when you're an asshole. <clears throat> that's a yeah. So I'm I'm glad that mm-hmm. we got the perspective from someone who actually has those emotions herself. So thank you. I think I, I, I kind of, for, like I said, I kind of for, fall more into line with Maki than I do a bit. I am a, more Maki in the sense of how I viewed my world up into mm-hmm. being, obviously, with my partner who's on this podcast. But even in a relationship, it is something where, like, obviously I fawn over him on episodes and I fawn over him between the two of us and I talk very fondly about him. But if you talk to me about my relationship, like, where a lot of people were like, look at my girlfriend, look at my girlfriend to me. I'm like, hey, Roots, look at this fire emblem thing. Oh, yeah, let's hold hands and hug with each other when we see each other in person, obviously, because we live far away from each other. But it doesn't really, like, change how I feel about him. Mm-hmm. Because I obviously love him. And that's, I mean, that's what the show is about. This show is about exploring a lot of different facets of romance. So I'll use this as an opportunity to transition to talking about the actors. Because even though I thought Lucy Christian was going to be the voice of you, her Toko is the one that I was at first afraid I was going to be the most critical of. Because, okay, uh, Toko's Japanese voice actress has this, what we in the business call a cool voice. She's, you know, she's a very archetypal senpai voice. And Lucy, from the first episode, does not give her that same type of voice. She has... Her Lucy big girl voice, but she still has a touch of her Moe inflection in the back of the voice. So it's not as uh, commanding, straightforward, professional as you would think. But then we find out by episode two that there's a good reason for that. Because Toko is not as cool as she comes off as. She's got a lot of insecurities about her that uh, she's using you to cope with. Because in trying to figure out... Uh, what Toko's preferences are, what her sexuality is, where she fits in terms of romance, because she admits she's never, her heart has never gone doki doki before, and now that it finally is with you around, she she can't let it go, you know, like um, they say that love is loving something more than you love yourself, and now that she's found it, she's getting a little possessive about it. Had Lucy given Toko a more commanding, more assertive voice, that may have come across as too overbearing, may have come off as rather territorial to the point of creepy and cringy. 
So I'm glad that Lucy's voice allows her to be vulnerable without being, uh, without sounding like that kind of overpossessive person that we kind of did get in Citrus, where you're know, like, you love someone, but you're also not treating them very well. Luckily, you bounces that out by being a subversion of an archetype that I'm very glad that she did. So you is, um, in most shows, like in most shoujo shows, is best exemplified by Usagi from Sailor Moon, is this kind of klutzy, every girl who isn't very smart, isn't very assertive in herself, but she's just got that special something that, by golly, the universe just loves her. Yu has that special something in the sense that she makes Toko, you know, feel for her, but she's not a pushover. She does not have the, the like, she doesn't have to build confidence. She has some confidence going into the first year. Her difficulty in figuring out what it is that she wants in a romance, or, like, if she even feels romantic feelings, is an obstacle, but it's not something that she's going to fall over backwards because, like, for the first time, she's like, someone's actually paying attention to me. She actually admits in, I think it was, like, episode five, she says she doesn't know if the reason that she's okay with their relationship is because she likes Toka, type Toko, or if she just likes the fact that someone chose her. Like, she, she likes selfishly that somebody likes her, which is understandable, I think. Even... Like, even if we're indifferent to people in our lives, the fact that anyone likes us or considers us our friends, that's a good feeling that we have. So, there is, uh, to you, to Tia Ballard's you, there is an expectation I had going into it, and she doesn't quite fit it, and that's a good thing, because my expectation was that you was going to be more like an Usagi character. But Tia has a whole lot of range. Like, it goes from dreamlike... Uh, at the beginning where she's contemplating her feelings about romance and then she gets more like she has more sass to her when she's actually speaking with characters and asserting herself and uh, she she has like she laughs and giggles when they first go to her family's bookstore and that's adorable and I love that scene and throughout the whole thing like you said Megan Tia's performance kind of evolves as we're finding more about you the fact that we have this archetypal view of what both you and Toko's kind of character should be like, and that we're not getting that in the show, I think is why a lot of people are having confused reactions about it. They're like, I, I am used to anime, which is very cliche. Anime has done a lot of the same things over and over again. We have expectations. And now that they're not being met, we're like, oh no, what do we do from here? Because you can't really have a whole lot of new stories, but you can have new presentations to it. And that's what this show does really well. So for Tia and Lucy, for subverting what I thought was going to go into both of these characters, and for bringing out the three-dimensional elements to all of their facets, be it scared, romantic, intrigued, angry, all of that, this is why I'm pretty sure that this show is going to, at the very end of the year, is going to go on my top 10 favorite shows seen in 2018. Mm. And that's all a lot right. of rambling. A lot of big words, but a lot of stuff that I definitely think for sure needed to be said. Mm -hmm. uh, starting off with uh, Lucy as Toko. Uh, Toko is very much, um, she's casual, laid back, authoritative, but she is extremely earnest in the way she feels and the way she comes off. She starts out very much with the expect expectation that she is the cool, collective, beautiful senpai but then the way you watch her gradually reveal herself and show her herself, you show a lot of herself 
to you. You see a lot more of like her going through that puppy dog love attraction to you as well as just actually opening up a lot of her vulnerability insecurities that she really would not have trust showing to anybody else, which I think is really, really interesting. I think Lucy does a good job just being that cool, authoritative person, but also being this huge dork who's kind of slowly realizing, oh shit, I have feelings. What do I do? How do I handle this? But also the way the character herself like deals with the fact that you does not feel this like strong electricity that she does and she understands and is respectful. She just wants to, her to know that she loves her and that she hopes she can at least support that however in whatever way which it seems like it will work out for that as for tia as you holy crap tia i am i know she's a very capable and stellar actress through and through and through but man you're seeing all the sides to her in this you see a lot of this doofy ditzy schoolgirl voice or at least this fake ditzy schoolgirl thing when she's interacting with her friends as well as this much more melancholic, I think Megan said the word jaded, which I think is really perfect in that she is very much, she's trying to come to terms with the fact that she wants this love. She wants this feeling of adoration. She wants to be flying through the sky, her feet off the ground. But then when she is confessed to for the first time, her feet are perfectly still and she realizes that it's just another moment and not this big crown changing moment that even then even when she is bonding more with toko it is just something that she realizes she is not feeling things and she's thinking like is that a thing that's wrong with her or is that just something she's dealing with and i think overall like tia's performance as as you really sells so much of this character for me like, she was already a very interesting character, but the dy dynamism in Tia Ballard's performance is spectacular. And I am pleasantly surprised with the decision to cast her as this character. And, like, it's so fascinating to see that, like, she is growing more, but that it's not such an easy solution that, oh no, I'm in we're in love, we're in lesbians now we're gay keep scrolling no it's just <laughs> no it's really really interesting to see how she grows with this and how she's coming more to terms with toko and her with toko i just lucy and tia are very capable actresses i think lucy does a great job i'm especially impressed by tia bell and I think with that, we can go into our final thoughts. I think a lot of what we've said has already been said, but I say for the sake of this, let's go into our, our final thoughts regardless. Jet. So, like I said way back in the beginning, I was a little late to uh, getting into this show, but I've definitely been enjoying it so far. Um, I really appreciate how, like, laid back the tone is, and, you know, that it's just kind of, like, very pleasant and nice for your thing and not, you know, like, kind of, uh, I mean, I, like, you know, like, it's not, like, super raunchy or anything, and I really appreciate that. 
and I definitely very much like the tone of the dub so far. Um, it's pretty, as a, it has a very laid back and natural tone, which I think the nice stuff is like particularly good at, and I really like David and Marissa's work on it so far. It's been really strong. And, um, well, I have a couple of issues with, you know, some of the minor performances here and there. I do think, I do think there's plenty of room for growth, and I really, really, really like the way the two lead actors are handling this, so I'm uh, definitely going to be watching this one through to the end. So, Excellent. yeah, it's very nice. So, as somebody who, like, man, I didn't want to fucking cry. I didn't want to cry to the lesbian show. <laughs> like, <laughs> but for all like, the good reasons. It's all it's good crying. Like, as someone who went through like a lot of time, like not knowing what she really wanted out of a romance, and even like I keep saying, even though I'm with a guy, like obviously it doesn't invalidate the fact that I'm bisexual. If biromantic or whatever the fuck it is, like, like I've I've honestly open always openly joked. Um, because, like, one of my friends one time asked me, she's like, so, Megan, are you straight or are you gay? And I think my, I think I, like, immediately looked my friend Emmy in the eyes and said, you ever seen that episode of Spongebob where Patrick goes, the inner machinations of my mind are an enigma and the milk carton falls over? <laughs> That's how I've described okay. my sexuality for years. That is a very That's Megan it. response. That's it. So I actually have like a little button that says the inner machinations of my mind are an enigma. <laughs> because that's how I described my sexuality to her. And like I've actually been DMing Roots like the whole time being like, please watch Bloom into You and watch episode four. <laughs> because that's about the best explanation of like how I felt before I started. Like how I feel outside of like dating somebody I'm incredibly emotionally attached to, which is obviously why like roots is my partner um why i refer to him as my partner over saying my boyfriend all the time um except for when i'm in around people who don't have the emotional capability of understanding that i use a gender neutral term for my significant other um but that being said i am so happy that the stub exists because a lot of people anime is becoming a lot more mainstream and so is the idea that we can tell LGBT stories. And a lot of people have this weird notion, unfortunately, or have a very close-minded view that anime cannot tell LGBT stories or that there is no place for LGBT characters and LGBT stories to exist unless they are relegated to the realm of being a fetish. Which... And... Like, obviously, I, I'm old enough and have a memory that is not a goldfish to remember how many people got utterly pissed that Yuri on Ice got really popular. And the reason was, oh, it's all because that crowd who only likes gay things picked it. And how dare it loot? How dare it beat ReZero, a hetero show, and yada, yada, yada. But this isn't the What's place. What's ReZero? To... Never heard of it. Honestly, it's probably a good anime. It's just an anime that has a lot of tropes that I'm just fucking I, I tired joke. of. Right. Um, but Fair enough. But Bloom Into You and its dub is honestly, if not one of the best dub casts that Sentai has put out this year, it's up there as one of the best dubs that they've made 
over the last year or two, which is saying a mm. lot. This dub is fucking beautiful from its casting to its writing to how much love and care that Sentai and High Dive, who's streaming it, puts into it. And honestly, it sucks that it's you can't really give it like the My Hero Academia hook other than to just say this is an anime that's going to matter to somebody down the line. This is an anime that I I think I said I felt the same way about Yuri on Ice where the story that's being told about you and Toka is going to help some poor kid get through their life. And the fact that mm. Sentai took the honestly the the massive risk to dub this and is amazing and one of the things I wanted to talk about is there's been like I guess it's like an anime tracker poll mm-hmm. that goes on Twitter. Um, as of this week, Bloomin' to You is the number one number anime one on that list. Bloomin' to You is the number one anime. It's the little show that could. It's the little. It's the little anime that could, and the fact that it's it's I think it's it's number two is Zombieland Saga. Zombieland Saga. Saga to which. Sorry to spoil this. Has a transgender character. Yeah, we're recording this. And honest to God, transgender. Like, we didn't talk about this on the Zombieland episode because we actually didn't know about this. No. Like, Mm. we're living in a season that has an anime that depicts a healthy relationship or the healthy-ish attempts at a relationship between two girls and an idol's show with a, a, a trans character in it. God bless 2018. <laughs> the dub is great. Please watch it. This dub is hopefully going to be out in a nice limited edition and will be preserved <laughs> for the young LGBT slash just anime fans who need help. And this is going to bring great comfort to them. I'm sorry. This episode is going so long. Noah. No, no. That There was like, Okay, you say there's no hook for this show. I will take a limited... If, if it's not a limited edition, I will take David Wall just walking up to my door and giving it to me. Deliver my copy personally. You hear that, David? Mm-hmm. This man... God damn it. Okay, Noah, Noah, please continue. No, 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 I, I'm, like, picturing it now, like, this entire fanfic where David, like, gets on a boat, then gets on a plane, then takes a Da Vinci hang glider, all to get to your front door just to hand-deliver the very first copy of Bloom into you. God damn it! I kind of like that image. Shut up. Technically, it should go to it should go to Zen first, not us. <laughs> At the ver- anyways, anyways, so no. yeah, all almost all of the things I said about the dub have already been said in this episode. So I, I want to end this off by just talking a little bit about why this struck me so much because I've been I've been jaded on some romances before. Like there have been some really good romances I've watched this year that didn't quite strike me as strongly as they should have. Like, I really liked um, uh, Snow White with the red hair. I really liked it. The romance didn't quite do it as much for me as it probably did for other people. This show really did, though. Like, this show reminded me what it's like to be in love for the first time. A good chunk of that is because of the writing and direction, and an equal part of that is because of the direction. I love shows like this where they are kind of heavy-handed in the visual imagery, but it's so much fun to watch. It's the kind of thing that you can only do because it's drawn. Like, there are transitions that happen that are impossible to do in live action that 
emulate the feelings that you has. Like she has a whole lot of drowning imagery. Episode one, she's like at like in underwater, separated from her friends' desk. In another episode, she's like sinking to the bottom of the water. A lot of that where you don't have to say anything, but that image portrays exactly the sensation of not being able to overcome the obstacle, which in this case is feelings of romance or not even getting romance to begin with. So that strikes me in a way that I, I, I just commend the studio for that. And it's equally matched by how David and Marissa really understood this. That is the highest thing you can say about the staff on a show is that they understood it. They understood the strength in characters coming to grips with any feelings of romance for the first time not always making the best decisions, but going along with it because they're learning and also getting to feel those slight emotions at the same time with them. So yeah, I don't. Speaking as a heterosexual person who is not going to um, be able to relate to it on the same LGBT level, I can still definitely relate to it on on an emotional level, on a young love level that I have not felt in a show in a very long time. If there's an Ellie out there, I will get it too. I will even fly to David Walt's house firsthand to go get a copy uh, myself. I don't think you need to follow fly to David Walt's house. <laughs> I, th- I I will. Okay, fine. I will parachute to the Sentai Studios to pick up a copy. That's better. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I was technically closer, so, so I could go to Wright Stuff's uh, warehouse. and Maybe that would be easier. Please don't steal from right stuff. Please don't. No, no, no. Just anyways. Uh, Never mind. So I'll just make this. I there's a lot that has been said about this show already, so I'm just gonna take a quick second to say something that will probably be repeated in a few other episodes down the line. Thank you, Sentai, for taking the risk. Thank you, David Wald, for being the man. Thank you, Marissa Lenti. For making these characters and this story come to life. Like, say what you will, it's still kind of a risk to do, like, gay, like, boys love, girls love kind of doves in anime and stuff. Or at least the people who think it's not as important or not as big deal, or the ones that do get dubbed are either, like, have some issues or there's a lot of creepy fetishistic stuff and stuff but just a genuinely like really good like lgbt love story and a love story dub is absolutely commendable and to give it the level of quality care and love that was shown in bloom into you impresses me a lot thank you to all parties involved i really like the show i really like this dub I highly recommend it. It's very much, if you want a really good romance story, you want a very, really good, pretty story, a really good high school story, it is just, it is a really good story that is absolutely worth your time. And if you would like to watch Bloom Into You, you can watch it over on High Dive, which, if you would like to get 50% 50% off of your first month subscription, you can use the code DUBTALK2018. That's I forgot right. we, we have a code. Very much... We have a code and we are going to use it. But yes, it is available on High Dive or recent uh, Verb subscriptions. 
Uh, that is where you can watch the dub or sub of this show, regardless of your preference of language. This is absolutely a show that I feel is worth your time. And if you would like to follow us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can find us over on YouTube, which you're hopefully watching now at Dub Talk Podcast. You can find us over on our Twitter, Tumblr, uh, Instagram, and Twitch channels. And would you beautiful people like to plug yourselves? Thank you very much. Okay, okay uh, so very quickly, uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter uh, at at Divideka or Jet Zero at Dub Talk. I will usually be talking about cartoons and stuff. Uh, you can also occasionally find me on my blog, Animation Infinity, where I might sometimes be writing stuff. And um, so, and I, you can also occasionally listen to me on another podcast, Podcast ONA, where we just kind of shoot the breeze and talk about anime news. And yeah, I guess that's basically it. All right, Megan. You can follow me at Queen Era Two on Twitter. I shit post sometimes, occasionally talk about how I love Roots of Justice, um, but mostly shit post uh, and cry about Fire Emblem Heroes fucking me over. Uh, but you can also hang out with me on the Funimation Discord and forums. I have a Twitter channel. Not a Twitter. Not a channel. What am I talking about? I have a Twitter account um, at Noah Clue, where um, all manner of the Noah runs Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I would run. That it would channel. probably work better. Would, oh the, shit! I would run Twitter into its golden age. We, we would have like uh, we would have hookers and blow every day. It, it would be great. And the Nazis would be banned. And, Yes, yes. Yeah, that is not getting cut. If that made you mad, you're in the wrong place, my friend. Anyway, I'm, uh, damn right. Anyways, um, I, m- mostly I talk about animation, um, just thoughts about new things coming up, or like I live tweet the uh, shows that I've been watching. I, what am I watching right now? I, I'm in the middle of tr- finally, finally finishing up um, the world God only knows, which is taking me all year to finally finish. Um, Hi, Q next. What's that? <laughs> Said Hi, Q next. I, I got a whole backlog here. No, no, he, he, no, he has a certain other thing he needs to be I doing I have an right entire now. backlog. IQ's got to become my... There's what entire, is he supposed listen, to be doing? He's probably going to become my I gym got show. got this thing here. Look, I have... Is that what... Uh, like, I, I can't... I, we can't talk about the thing he's supposed to be doing, but there's the thing he's... There is, there is. But, so I have 400 this. pages of unwatched shows to watch here. IQ is on, like, page number 278. It's on there somewhere. We'll get around to it eventually. Also, uh, speaking of things I need to get around to eventually, I also have a YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler. I'm uh, not sure what's going to come of that just yet, but in an alternative dimension, it is the premier place for all discussions of animation, both present and old, east and west, all over the place. If I didn't have a full-time job and responsibilities to actually be a productive member of society, I would be making more stuff for that. We'll see what comes of that. And as for me, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter under the username MangaMan9000. You can find me over as a moderator over Funimation Forums and Discord, as well as another member of Jet's Podcast ONA on Surreal Resolution. Anyways, that being said, I think it's time we call it a night. Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Good night. I don't have a really, I don't have a good segue for this. Uh, thank you, David Wald, 
if you have made it for through almost two and a half hours of this, you are already another amazing god among men. Have a great Sorry night. Sorry I cried. <laughs>